Hello, everyone. Once again, before we start the show, we want to pay respect to another very acclaimed and influential and important artist and creator that sadly left us recently. Shinji Mizushima passed away earlier in January due to pneumonia at the age of 82. Many people may not be familiar with his work because it's not really brought over to the West in a big way. But Dokaben is as big as it can get as far as baseball manga goes. It was an extremely long-running series, lasting for 46 years from 1972 to 2018. A huge, huge staple of baseball manga and of manga culture in general during its run in Weekly Shonen Gym magazine. And it had an anime series and a film adapted to it too. And even when it ended after its 26 year run, it had a sequel series, Daikoshian, which also sort of involved the characters from Mizushima's other work too. And he just kept going as a creator until 2020, late 2020, when he retired after an incredible 63-year run as an artist. And I think, unquestionably, his work was incredibly influential in the realm of baseball and sports manga, even if we have never really gotten the chance to experience a lot of it in an official capacity. It is a truly seminal title, in the same way Star of the Giants or Touch was, and one of the longest-running manga series, and Mizushima is certainly one of the, the most accomplished artists of his time. And so much so, he received the government, Japanese government's Order of the Rising Sun Gold Race Rosette Award for his contributions to Japanese entertainment and culture back in 2014. And it's just sad to lose yet another incredibly accomplished creator who created like a huge work with such a legacy behind it. And I really do yearn to explore more of Mizushima's work and hope I can have the opportunity to do someday. But until then, I, I'm just sad to lose been another great talented artist and just want to take a moment of time before we begin the show just to pay our respects and wish his family and loved ones the best in this time and also to wish him the best and a long old as a rest after years of hard work and art that has influenced and touched generations of manga fans. This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 188. 
We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lauren Yasha. And today we have another lengthy news roundup to cover all the exciting news that came out of 2022 just these past few weeks. There's so much news to discuss. So many new licenses and industry shakeups, serialization updates, anime news. And we're finally getting around to talking about some popularity polls that I've been meaning to talk about for a while. So it's a really stuffed episode that, you know, we're really beginning the year with a lot of bang, a lot to look forward to for the rest of the year. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah, we have so much news to talk about, as always, but it's a lot of really cool news. So I hope you guys will enjoy it. Uh, But before then, we should uh, we should let everybody know that uh, that our survey that we're still doing for the show is going to be coming to an end very soon. Lum, if you want to talk about that just one more time. That's right. The 2021 Manga Mavericks survey will be closing on February 13th, right before we record our traditional podcast covering the results of the survey. And so if you have not yet taken the survey, I would encourage you to do so because those who take the survey get entered into our free manga giveaway in which you may have a chance to win a book of your choice from a selection of titles curated by both of us. This includes several volumes of Banana Fist, several issues of Shonen Jump, several volumes of series we've discussed before on the show, including Golden Kamui and My Solo Exchange Diary, as well as other classics like Video Girl Eye and Blackjack. And in addition to all that, we also have a lot of spare copies of the My Hero Academia World Heroes Mission theatrical giveaway booklet manga. Because I just ended up getting a lot of them from my theater because they still, months later, have a stack of them. (laughs) So every time I go, I just take another one because they're just there. But yeah, we have plenty of those. So if you never was able to get to theater to see the movie and didn't get a chance to get the booklet, you know, enter the giveaway and you can select it as a prize. Ooh. And... Yeah, I mean, in general, beyond the prize, we encourage you to take the survey because it really helps us out by letting us know your favorite episodes, guests, moments, and more from last year, and what you'd like to see happen on the show in the future, what you'd like to see us cover, what you'd like to see us discuss, what you'd like to see in terms of new guests brought on board and interviewed or on for discussions. We really take your suggestions and feedback to heart, and it does influence and help us map out the direction of show and ideas we want to try and do. And I really appreciate a lot of the responses we've gotten so far that definitely, I think, will inform a lot of things we'll try to do this year and in the time to come. So please do if you, like, have any suggestions for us. And if you have any, like, thoughts on, you know, the last year of the podcast and what you really liked about it, it really does help us out for you to let us know that in our survey. And we really enjoy discussing it as we will in our traditional podcast, you know, where we cover the results of the survey. This year, unlike previous years, it will be a Patreon-exclusive episode, at least that is planned, just to free up some slots on our main schedule. However... We will be posting the results publicly when that podcast is out. So even if like you are not a patron and don't listen to the podcast, you'll still be able to see the, the results when it comes out because we'll make sure to post that information. So yeah, I mean, it's 
we're always very interesting to see what you guys choose as your favorite episodes and what you guys choose as like what you really like about the show. And yeah, we just really appreciate it and uh, looking forward to seeing like how the final results come in. No, for sure. I definitely have a lot of fun usually going through our survey results. Um, when we do record that episode and put it up on our Patreon, we're probably going to make that available for a dollar. Um, just so like in case you are, you know, interested in listening to our podcast, you know, there at least won't be a super high paywall just to like listen to that one in particular. So yeah, we'll, we'll try to make that as available as possible uh, in case you are interested in listening to that podcast. But like Lum said, we will be again uh, tweeting out at least some of our results from the survey uh, in case you guys are interested. Um, and yeah, I'm interested in going through those, and uh, I can't wait to see how the results of this year's survey turn out, because like Lum said, we have gotten a lot of uh, really interesting feedback this time around, and we'll definitely be going through that. But yeah, uh, like we said, the cutoff date for the survey is February 13th, again, same day we're recording that podcast, so if you have not taken the survey yet, you still have at least a little bit of time to get to that. And uh, let us know what you think about the show. But uh, I think it's about time to get on to some news. And uh, we are going to start off like we normally do. And uh, we are going to talk about the latest New York Times graphic books and manga list. Uh, this one being for January 2022, the first one of the year. And um, not like a whole lot to go over on this list, but definitely some very interesting stuff here. So just going to start at the very bottom of the list here. We have Volume 2 of Demon Slayer coming in at number 15. And then after that, we have two volumes of Jujutsu Kaisen on the list, actually, uh, with Volume 0 ranking at number 13 overall, as well as Volume 13 ranking at number 10. Uh, so quite a showing for Jujutsu Kaisen there comparatively. And then last but not least, we have Volume 8 of Chainsaw Man serendipitously at number 8 on the list. <laughs> which is pretty cool. And uh, that's about it for all the manga on the list. I mean, obviously, th this being the list where, like, manga has to compete with, like, literally every other graphic novel, it is pretty cool that, like, Jujutsu Kaisen in particular has two whole volumes on the list. Uh, I think that just really shows that uh, uh, people in particular are very interested in buying Jujutsu Kaisen last month. Oh, yeah. People are definitely extremely into JJK right now. And seeing Volume Zero on the list makes me think that a lot of the buzz over the Zero movie in Japan has kind of crossed over to the fandom over here. And so people are like, oh, I want to really check out the manga now. Mm hmm. Uh, we'll definitely talk about that a little later in the show because some news came out for that recently. But uh, we'll we'll get on to that later because for right now. Uh, we do have to talk about the latest book scan list, this one being for December 2021. And um, a lot of interesting uh, things to say about this list. We'll go over them as we go over the list. But uh, just to kind of start off with, at the very top of the list, we have Volume 8 of Chainsaw Man, along with uh, Volume 1 and Number 4, Volume 2 and Number 9, and Volume 3 at Number 13. So Chainsaw Man d doing super, super well. I don't know if it could do any better than this, quite honestly, and the anime is not even out yet. So that's still quite amazing. Uh, and then next up, we just mentioned Jujutsu Kaisen earlier. Uh, we have Volume 13 ranking at number two, with Volume 0 ranking at number five, Volume 1 at number eight, with Volume 2 at number 14, and Volume 3 number at 18. So Jujutsu Kaisen, I'm pretty sure, is the series with the most volumes on this list, with Chainsaw Man right behind it. So... A lot of people really, really gearing up for both Chainsaw Man and Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, basically the two hottest things right now. Absolutely. 
Uh, next up, we have Demon Slayer Volume 2, ranking at number three, and uh, surprisingly, the only volume of Demon Slayer on this list, and I don't know if that's because maybe, like, some of the other volumes are possibly out of print, maybe? Yeah, it's strange. I do think it might have to do with shortages <laughs> with the series, that it's just hard to buy the rest of the series, and Volume 2 might be the one that's most in stock, because the fact that it's at number 3 probably shows that the series is in demand, but maybe the rest of the books, you know, there just isn't enough to meet the demand. Probably not. Um, Or it could also be, it could be a combination of that and maybe... You know, Chainsaw Man and Jujutsu Kaisen maybe are just like selling that much more. Possibly, it it could be both, honestly. Possibly, but it's so strange that number two would rank at number three, like of all the volumes, because it's you know so early in the series, not really reflective of what's going in the anime right now. It's like I feel like it just ends has happened to be like the one volume you can find consistently in print everywhere, whereas the rest they're they're just not not be that many copies to buy of them to match like the sales of the rest of these and these volumes on this list oh man they're probably all in that demon slayer box set that you have to buy or whatever oh yeah i mean we've heard tales of people buying the box set just to break the books out of it to (laughs) put on the shelves and resell i mean you gotta do what you gotta do you know Mm -hmm. But next up, we have Attack on Titan, Volume 34, ranking at number 10, with Volume 1 right behind it at number 12. And, uh, you know, again, Attack on Titan, still very popular. The final season is airing right now, and I'm sure that's, uh, you know, got a lot of people interested in buying Attack on Titan right now. And I mean, it's also just a popular series in general. Um, So I, I wouldn't be surprised if for the next couple of months, we see both Volumes 34 and 1 on the list, respectively, for a bit. Uh, next up, we have Toilet Bound Hanako-kun, Volume 1, ranking at number 11, with Volume 2 ranking at number 20. Toilet Bound Hanako-kun, once again, still the biggest thing that Yen Press has at the moment, still does very well. You know, we've mentioned it before, but I- I'm really glad to see something else that isn't Viz Shonen Jump being able to, like, compete with the rest of those titles in particular. Yeah, because without Hanako and Taiden, this would be all Viz titles. So it is nice to see the other publishers have at least one big hit as competitive in sales with them. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, next up, we have, once again, Death Note Volume 1, the Black Edition in particular, ranking at number 15, Death Note is, once again, as we constantly say, is just a constant evergreen title that always sells, uh, along with Tokyo Ghoul, uh, with Volume 1 ranking at number 16 on the list. Both these series are just basically guaranteed to have at least one volume on the list every every couple months, I'd say. Uh, people keep going back to those series because they're very popular. And then next up, we have the newest uh, Junji Ito story collection with Deserter. At uh, number 17 on the list, Junji Ito, another very popular author in the States, uh, quite possibly th- the most like popular horror manga artist in the States. I would be really interested in seeing, because I know we have a lot of other like horror manga coming out uh, in the States eventually, and I'm I'm really interested in seeing if like any other horror manga artist can eventually become as big as Junji Ito. I wonder if that's possible. Yeah, I would like to see it. I think Ito kind of has blown away other horror mangaka and their titles in terms of sales. He has managed through good marketing and awareness to become a household name for comics fans. Oh, yeah. So that his titles are now a hot commodity, a known commodity that like comics lovers will seek out and read. But 
even though we're getting more like, for instance, Umez stuff, his work still isn't like necessarily selling as much as Ito's. So it's going to be interesting to see like if other like classic horror authors can get that reputation built for them the same way Ito has. And I would like to see that. But it's always great to see Ito's new books sell very well. No, for sure. Um, we might even have a horror title or two that we might talk about when we get to licenses later that I'm actually very excited about because it's not Ito. Um, but again, we'll get to that later. Uh, but just to kind of finish off the list. Uh, so one of two surprises that I really want to talk about with this list. We'll talk about the other one in a second. But uh, Kaiju number eight, volume one at number 19 on the list. Uh, Kaiju number eight finally makes its first showing on the book scan list, which is really cool. I know a lot of people were really looking forward to this release. And, you know, Kaiju number eight, just in general, is like one of the biggest jump plus titles running right now, along with like Spy Family and everything. So I think it was only a matter of time before enough of the first volume sold that it was going to be on this list some way, somehow. Yeah, it is really great to see Kaiju number eight make it in the top 20 for its first volume debut. And hopefully it only continues to grow in reputation and sales in the months to come. And as the series continues to pick up attraction and readers. And yeah, I think that this series will do really, really well and very well deserved. Mm hmm. And that's really about it for the list. But the other surprise that uh, the article on ICV2 mentions in particular that I don't know if I would have noticed if they didn't like point it out. But um, for the first time in literal years, there is no My Hero Academia on this list, which is really quite the surprise. I was not expecting that at all. Yeah, I guess we have just hit kind of that slow spot in which MHA didn't really have like a really fresh new volume out and it's getting to a point where I guess other titles has kind of overtaken it it's like the it titles that everyone's like really into right now so it's an interesting thing I'm sure obviously we're gonna see MHA return to list because it's still incredibly big it still is like the best-selling comic or manga now but like it's it's interesting to see like oh this is one month where there's like no MHA volume interesting tides are changing in the favor of a few other series and now it's time for Chainsaw Man and Jujutsu Kaisen the Duke it out to see who would be the best-selling comic in North America. Mm. Maybe. I mean, you never know. Uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, uh, just no no new volume of MHA came out uh, around that time. And then I also wonder if, like, printing shortages have something to do with that as well, maybe. Because uh, we, were, we were seeing, like, volume one and sometimes volume two on the book scan list for, like, again, literal years. It just... There there just wasn't a time where, like, My Hero Academia wasn't on the list in general. So it might have something to do with that, too. Or, you know, like you said, it could just be, like, things are a little slow right now. And, like, again, Jujutsu Kaisen and Chainsaw Man, I think maybe people might just be more interested in those titles at the very moment. So, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I guess we'll see. I, I guess we'll see if... Uh, if this continues a trend, like, it, will this will this finally signal the end of My Hero Academia? Probably not, but uh, it'll probably be back on the list next month, maybe. I, but we'll have to see. It would be really funny if it didn't. It was just gone from the list for, like, three months or something. But again, that probably won't happen. <laughs> I don't expect it. Um, But yeah, I don't I don't think I have anything else to say about this list unless you do. 
No, I think this was kind of a business-as-usual kind of list. I think the most notable thing is that, oh yeah, MHA isn't on the list this time. It's interesting. And I am going to be curious to see if that trend continues, because looking at the release date, there isn't going to be a new volume until March, so... Maybe it'll be off of the January and February list. We'll see. I didn't realize that there was a gap. There is quite a gap between volume releases now because, you know, before they were like publishing a volume every like two, three months. But like there's a gap, like volume 29 was released in September and now volume 30 isn't coming until March. So, oh, wow, that's uh, that's surprising. That's a huge gap. Yeah, I mean. I wonder if, again, there are probably some delays in printing, probably. Yeah, that definitely has affected the publication schedule. That and the fact that they are pretty caught up to the series in terms of, like, volumes. So maybe they are trying to slow down to not, like, catch up to keep a consistent pace behind the Japanese volume releases. But we will see. I mean, it's, it is it is interesting. But I, nonetheless, M&J, of course, continues to be a big seller. So when we do see 30 come out, I'm sure it's going to be a list topper for sure. Oh, it'll probably be number one easy. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's about it for list news. And I think we should move on to some serialization news if you want to take it away. Indeed. And the first thing we're going to mention is a string of news about series that are ending. Because there are a lot of them. And if we're going to start on the Kadanch end, the first thing we got to mention that's ending is UQ Holder. That is ended on February 9th. And perhaps that's not much of a surprise, considering that Kamatsu is running for Japan's House of uh, Representatives, his, the House of Counselors, in the summer. So it makes sense that he's ending the series <laughs> to go prepare for his political campaign. Of course, I mean, we knew that the series was coming to an end for a while now, since at least last spring it was announced that the series was going to come to an end in a few chapters. But yeah, it's interesting. Now that see Akamatsu is going to probably put manga on hold for a bit to focus on his political career. I'm, I'm very curious to see how that's going to pan out. And UQ Holder itself is a series I need to get back into, and now that it's finished, I'll catch up on it. Now, Fire Force is the next series you're going to mention that's ending. We already knew it's coming to an end, but now we have, like, more of a confirmation that Okubo has, like, drawn and submitted the final chapter. Uh, the series is going to end its publication in magazine in just a few chapters, and there's about two volumes left that are going to come out, so it'll end with the 34th volume. So, yeah, Fire Force is really heading to its end game from what I've seen kind of secondhand from people discussing it who've been keeping up with it. Like, it definitely seems to be ending in an interesting place, heading to an interesting conclusion. So I'm definitely keen to catch up on the series, too, once it ends, and you know, the volumes catch up as far as the, the translation goes from Kadansha. So, yeah, Fire Force is a series that, you know, did not get off on the right foot with me, wasn't super into for a long time. The second season of the anime covered, I guess, story material that, like, started to finally really appeal to me, and so now I'm, like, more into it and more interested in seeing, like, how the rest of the series and the story goes, so... And especially since this is Okubo's swan song from manga, like, he's planned this to be his final manga and he's retiring now. I am, like, super curious to see, like, what note he's gonna go off on as far as his career. 
Mm-hmm. Well, all I know is I can't wait to cover both this and Soul Eater eventually on the show. Indeed. I am curious to revisit and reappraise his work because I'm very fond of Soul Eater. I do wonder like how much of it will hold up because, you know, there have been recent convos like, oh, the anime is actually better. And I'm like, hmm, I mean, <laughs> I do think the anime is an excellent adaptation. I do like the anime original ending. But I also really like the stuff in the manga that didn't make it into the anime. I like what Okubo does with his story and his ultimate message in the story. So I am curious to revisit the manga and then compare with the anime and then like really come to grips with like what were Okubo's strengths as a writer and is it really the adaptations that bring out the best in them or is there like stuff there that I think people are not giving enough credit for? So it's going to be an interesting thing to revisit Soul Leader and to cover Fire Force for sure. I mean, look, I love the Soul Leader anime, you know, I, I love it as much as the next person, but man, I really want to wait until I actually get around to reading the manga before I really make any real judgments. But um, th- those are my favorite online conversations are the ones where like, you know, a thing that like was just like universally hated like years later now, like suddenly everybody's loving it. Like they just loved it all along. And I'm like, no, that's not that's not how it was like a little while ago. Like, it's just it's so it's so interesting like how like public opinion can really really change over time on certain things you know Mm -hmm. um but here i want to talk about the next series that's ending and that is blood blockade battlefront or kekai sensen so this is interesting because um i didn't really know about its publication history so i i should say that um in jump square rise in particular that's what it's called now it basically, in the latest issue of that, uh, it was announced that Bloodplicate Battlefront will be ending in the next chapter. And uh, in case you don't know, this is a manga series written by the author of Trigun, uh, Yasuhiro Naitao, and has been running for quite a while, it seems, and is also a series that has uh, jumped basically from magazine to magazine, because literally every magazine this is run in has, like, like, eventually becomes defunct. So Square 19 was just where the regular series ran in when it like began publication in earnest in 2010, ended in February 2015. Then they moved to Jump Square Crown, and that is when it became Blood Became Battlefront back to back. And it was like one of the debut titles uh, in July 2015. But then Crown ended publication in January 2018, and so then it went to Jump Square Rise when that magazine launched, like, three months later. Um, there's just too many Jump Square magazines. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I'm, I just called it Blubbicade Battlefront because as far as I can tell, this is just a continuation to that original manga with, like, just a new title. I don't think it's, like, a direct sequel or anything. At least it's not as far as I know. But, yeah, I just thought I, – I literally just saw this news, like, the night before we rec- uh, were recording this episode, and I just thought, oh, man, that, that, I guess that's ending, huh? And, um, you know, I haven't really read any of the manga myself. I really wish I could, but uh, what little of the manga we have here I think is very out of print, unfortunately, because that's just how a lot of Dark Horse titles end up being, unfortunately. But, like, man, I've at least seen both seasons of the anime, and, you know, I liked what I watched of those, and I wish it would get more anime, but – I don't know what the chances are of that now. I mean, I would love it if maybe someone else could pick this back up and maybe we can have this back in print. But hey, you never know. Never say never. But yeah, no, I just thought that was worth mentioning that, uh, again, Bloodplicate Battlefront will be basically ending in the in the next issue of this magazine. So um, it'll it'll be weird to see it go. 
Yeah, I loved Bud McKay Battlefront. I own all the Dark Horse uh, released uh, ones lucky. of the entire the 10 volume run of the original series. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Naito and his uh, comics and his art and storytelling. So I really loved it. And unfortunately, Dark Horse has not picked up back to back. So I don't know if there's ever going to be a legal opportunity to read it. And so I do hope that it would end up getting adapted into anime because that might be the only way to experience it in an official legal capacity. And hopefully, like if they did get adapted, like they really bring out their their in game in terms of like, uh, once again, like the original adaptation was extremely good. Now, of course, like, this is, uh, this is another thing that I saw just discussion secondhand recently where it's like, you know, a lot of people do really prefer the first season. I do like the first season better than the second season, but, you know, that was like Rhea Matsumoto, like, also adding her own story to reframe a lot of the episodic stories in the manga yeah. and give it more of a stew line and narrative. The characters of black and white aren't in the manga at all, so all that was, like, invented for the show. But I really like all that stuff. And the second season is more in line with what the tone of the manga is in terms of like episodic stories so there is like background stuff but it's like not necessarily building anything and that i think changes by the end of the first run of blood play k battlefront uh but you know i feel like a lot of people who really liked the first season were disappointed by the second and then a lot of people like the manga were <laughs> disappointed by the an- first season of the anime or something it's another one of those like soul eater situations like we we're just talking about it's like yeah. the people who like one thing are kind of set for the other thing for being different I like both, and I just want more Blood Bicate Battlefront to be available and, you know, adapted really well, because the anime, both seasons, both approaches did do it really well, and I just would like to see more anime be made. I would like to see the manga be more readily available in print for folks to check it out, and I would like to see back-to-back get licensed and actually published. If not Dark Horse, by someone else, you know? See, see, for me, I, uh, I'm i actually rewatching the first season uh, to maybe pod about on another show, possibly. Um, but um, yeah, I'm rewatching the first season. And, um, you know, I remember liking season two a bit better because I think the thing with season one is that like, as good as it was, I did kind of feel like we didn't really get enough time to actually just kind of spend with the other characters. So and I, I think season two does a better job of that. Because again, it is kind of from what I could tell, is more faithful to the manga, where the manga doesn't really like, is it really like building up to anything for a lot of its run, as far as I know, you know? Well, I will say that, you know, for the most part, the first season, like the episodes, like up until the last three, do adapt manga chapters and storylines. They just add extra framing things to include the black and white narrative. Yeah. And yeah, I would say that in that choice to like, you know, do that storyline. They focus more on stories that like emphasize, I would say, Leo, Klaus, and Zap. And so I would say like, yeah, other secondary characters, like, you know, Chain, for instance, might not have gotten as much focus. And so in the second season, we get a lot of those storylines that focus on the other characters that were in the manga that got skipped over in the first season. Yeah. Which I appreciated. But yeah, you know, I will say that I think it ends up working out. I think ideally, maybe what could have happened would be if like the series could have been 24 episodes from the start. And then you could have like sprinkled in like a lot of those episodic stories from season two into the narrative uh, that was built up through the season one additional framing with black and white. And that might have been like an even better approach. But either way, I think like show, you know, still very good. 
Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I mean, I, either way, I, I still like the show overall, but I definitely have my preferences as to, like, which season I like more personally. But hey, I, maybe I'll feel differently after this rewatch of season one, because I, I, I weirdly, not that I disliked it, but I don't think I liked it as much as I thought I would. So I, I don't know. My, my, my feelings could probably change, honestly. I'm fully expecting that, honestly. But um, I still like it overall, and I, I just wish more of it was available somehow. I will literally take anything at this point, you know? Yeah, it's not even available digitally. I mean, Trigon's also yeah. ridiculously out of print and expensive, but at least Trigon you can get digitally through Dark Horse. Both the Cape Battlefront, they don't even offer digitally. Yeah, I, I was actually looking on the Dark Horse app through iOS, which is also where you can read Trigun digitally. So just just a, just a little tip for all you guys out there, because I don't know how many people actually know that. Um, but yeah, I was looking for Bloodplicate Battlefront on the app and I couldn't find it. So I was just like, oh, well, guess I'm never reading it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, ma- it makes me sad. Somebody license license rescue this one. That'd be nice. Yeah, I don't. I mean, Dark Horse, I guess, still clings to the license. So I don't Probably. know if we can get license rescued until they drop it. Yeah, I mean, I don't even remember what has been a title that Dark Horse has licensed that has been rescued or adopted by another publisher that isn't like maybe a Kadansha series. Because I'm sure Kadansha got their hands back on everything that they used to have from everywhere from everyone else. But <sighs> yeah. I don't know, but maybe it could happen. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, maybe Wiz will, or someone could take the chance on licensing back-to-back without having the first one. 7C, steal the license from Dark Horse. That'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be nice. Well, Blood Blockade Battlefront is coming to an end. And also coming to an end is Planet Wit by Satoshi Mizukami. That adaptation, or rather the his manga version of the series that also had the anime start up at the same time, is coming to an end this summer. So yeah, like, that's interesting. And he plans to update his new manga that he's been doing concurrently, World and Salt, more frequently after Planet Wind ends. And hopefully that gets made available regularly somewhere. So, oh, it's Seven Seas licensed it. That's right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing how the manga version ends and if it is different from the anime version yeah Pl- planet with is definitely on my list um i definitely remember starting the anime and then i just never got back to it but i do want to get back to it eventually yeah i mean people loved it and it feels like it's like an entire shonen epic condensed in just like 12 episodes but paced really well which is excellent excellent to hear yeah, feels like that was like a very underrated show when it came out. Mm, I feel like it is a cult favorite. At least I guess the circles I interact with really loved it. But maybe it didn't like hit like the main stream necessarily in terms of like a show everyone caught on with. And maybe that hopefully it'll change with the next adaptation of Mitsukami Ooh, series. That's yeah. coming, <laughs> which we'll talk about later in the show. But there's oh, still yeah. other manga ending that it, we gotta address, including Space Brothers is finally starting its final arc this year. Which Space Brothers has been running for 15 years now. So Damn. it's interesting to see it's finally coming to an end. And it's been like five years since I last read it. So I have a lot to catch up on. But I do want to catch up on it before it heads to its end. Because it's a great series. And I would like to see like what the climax conclusion is. Space Brothers is definitely also on my list. I've been meaning to check that out forever. Mm-hmm. It's really good. 
Another series, and the last series we'll mention that's coming to an end, is Yakuza Lover. They are finally reaching the climax of that series with its 11th volume. And we will see how this steamy Yakuza romance manga ends up finishing off. We'll see how they all get off in this series. (laughs) That can mean two things. And the last thing to mention is that there are some new series from some authors we were like that are coming out soon. This includes Yuki Kidama's new manga. Yuki Kidama did Blood Lad, which is a funny series, funny shonen kind of action series. And there are new series coming out in the Satsu Shonen Magazine. It's called Summon World, and it is a battle fantasy taking place in present-day Tokyo that has summoners of an academy and follows... A kid named Tokoyo, who doesn't know his parents, but admires Summoners, and there's a secret about him that's, like, world shaken. So, interesting to see how this pans out, and if it has kind of the sense of humor that made Blood Lad a real fun series. And then another new manga that I'm looking forward to coming out is a new manga from the author of Kiss and White Lily from my dearest girl, Kano. And their new series coming out in the February issue of Comic Flapper, is Coda Dormitory's Constellation Days. And this is a story that's about an academy that centers on the 12 Zodiac constellations, and it begins when one of the girls, one of the girls who represents the constellations, calls the other 11 unique girls to the dormitory for a certain purpose. So a nice Yuri story, most likely, involving like these 12 girls who each represent a constellation of the Zodiac. So... Yeah, I like Kissing White Lily. I want to finish it, but I just read the first three rounds. But it's a really sweet uh, series. So yeah, I'm looking forward to more series from Kano. And hopefully this gets licensed uh, pretty quickly. But that about does it for serialization news. And now we have some licensing updates to talk about. Starting with some updates to Jump and Monk Plus. Yeah, so I could talk about those updates to the Shonen Jump app real quick. In which... Uh, First things first, it's been up on there for a few weeks at this point, but I think it's worth mentioning that uh, if you haven't had the chance to buy the release of Akira Toriyama's Manga Theater, which basically includes uh, a good variety and a good collection of a lot of his like old one shots, you know, spanning across like multiple decades of his work from pre Dr. Slump to post Dragon Ball. It's there's a lot of really good stuff in there if you're an Akira Toriyama fan. And that's all just available on the Shonen Jump app. If you have a subscription to that app, you could just you could just read it all on there for two dollars. That's amazing. So, you know, definitely go check that out. And uh, Shonen Jump app also like put out a pretty big surprise in that uh, at the time of this recording, I'm sure there'll be more out when this episode's out. But the uh, at the time of this recording, the first eight chapters of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 6 Stone Ocean is just available on the Shonen Jump app, which is a pretty big deal considering they're still not done releasing Part 5 yet. Um, so they, I'm, I'm sure clearly the people over at Viz... Uh, really wanted to get this out while the anime was still being released on Netflix, probably. But uh, that's still really cool that we're getting, like, two concurrent releases of two separate JoJo story arcs. Like, that's not something I ever thought would happen. It's really nice to see happen. And not only has the entire first volume's worth of chapters, the first eight chapters of Stone Ocean been made available, they plan to update new chapters every week. So we don't know like exactly how many new chapters are going to drop like every Tuesday or so, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see like how fast they will want to get through Stone Ocean. 
probably to keep pace with the anime and keep in touch with the buzz around it. And it is really cool because, as mentioned, they only just published the second volume of Golden Wind, so you really want to get this out there. And it makes me hopeful that when part 9 starts up, we'll get a simulpet for that, because I'd really love that if they did that. Oh, man, yes. If they continue this approach with Stone Ocean into part 7 and 8. Now, the one thing I'll mention with this is that overall, I think the translation is good and fine. But I will say that the page quality is a little blurry, a little fuzzy. And I there are some, like, retouch mistakes. Like, there's a panel where, like, Jolene's nose was clone stamped to look longer than it is. And so there, there's some things that I worry that in an attempt to get it all out, they might have kind of rushed it. And Probably. left in some errors that I'm sure will be pointed out and fixed in future updates and releases if they haven't been already. But it is something that was worth noting that I'm really happy and excited for this, but I also hope, like, they don't feel forced. They don't feel, like, stressed to, like, oh, we need to put this out, like, super fast. And in the process of doing that, let some of the quality slip. Because we have seen that there's some big mistakes that can be done on big titles because of that push to get things out fast. Like, when we covered Demon Slayer and there were like misspellings and the volumes and whatnot. So, you know, I am always very excited to see like an effort to bring more manga like over and make it available at a good quantity. And like, especially, you know, with Stone Ocean to just not have to wait for Golden Wind to finish to be able to read it in English legally and on the app. But I also would like and hope that they don't feel like, oh, we need to go through this fast, and the quality of the release suffers uh, for that. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I mean, you know, it is really cool that they're putting this up exclusively on the app first, but I do agree, like, I really hope that, like, w- whatever mistakes are going to inevitably be in this version of the release, that I-, I do hope that these are fixed for the eventual volume releases, because it, w- it would be unfortunate if these still stuck around, but I'm sure they will be. But no, that's really cool. And man, yeah, I got to tell you, if, if they do actually like Simulpub, like part nine, I might have to start reading that. <laughs> I like I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near like caught up on Jojo at all. I'm pretty much anime only at this point, but I'll I'll totally jump in the part nine if they Simulpub it. Uh, Viz, if, you, if anyone at Viz is listening. So just just saying. That would be really cool. I am surprised they didn't Simulpub the part four spinoff monkey. Crazy Diamonds and Monarch Heartbreak, but maybe they're waiting for that just to finish and then come out in volumes. But, you know, I would have liked to see that signed. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Viz maybe announces that, like, sometime later this year. I I, I could see that happening, mm-hmm. actually. Um, But we do have some Manga Plus stuff to talk about. Yeah. So Manga Plus is doing this first read free campaign that's going to last for about a year in which you are going to be able to read every chapter of a series that is currently being simul released for free, but only once for these chapters. You can only read like the chapters in between the first two chapters and latest two chapters of these series once and then you can't read them again. But it's a campaign that is meant to commemorate the third anniversary of Manga Plus. It's only available inside the app. And yeah, as mentioned before, it's only for series that are currently being simul published. And that, you know, means like everything that's currently running in Jump and on Jump Plus, which is a lot of titles. 
So we're not going to just go through them all, but if you listen to the show, you probably know what they are because you covered them. So this is, of course, available pretty much worldwide because Manga Plus is available pretty much worldwide except Japan, China, and South Korea. And so this is a neat thing for people who don't have access to the Jump app because they're in a territory outside of it and they are not been able to read the backlog chapters. They don't have an opportunity to read those backlog chapters in a official capacity. Here's an opportunity to be able to do that for screen. You have a year to do that. So on that perspective, this is a pretty neat thing for international readers. But the concern that has been brought up with this has been part of like this ongoing conversation we've been having about Manga Plus as an app and service and what it means and what it's trying to do as being diametrically opposed to the Shonen Jump app and trying to undermine it. At least that seems to be a worry from a lot of people because... Uh, you know, Manga Plus, the circumstances of when it started were out of the blue and seemingly it was met with a lot of hostility from people on the jump side, on the Viz side. And that has continued for a while. And also recently, we of course have had like a bunch of these PR interviews in which editors of Manga Plus have been going out of their way and saying, you know, oh, we want to, you know, really make the barrier to translation like as cheap as possible which is like kind of you know coded language was saying oh we want to use machine translation we also want to make this process of localization cheaper by inevitably like undervaluing the labor that localizers do and making you know the rates they get which are already much too low even lower which is, you know, very underhanded, profit-motivated, and this effort they've been having, like, been trying to, you know, have, like, you know, their own exclusives, uh, their own separate translations of certain titles different from the this side. A lot of it seemingly has been done in effort to, like, undermine Viz's own efforts and their own efforts to, like, promote the Shonen Jump app as the destination for English readers and by having this campaign with the manga plus app you know this promotional campaign it feels like oh this is another move in order to attract readers away from the jump app now obviously the manga plus campaign has limitations that still make the jump app like much more of a worthwhile service for one thing this is only affecting currently simulpub titles and these chapters can only be read once so it's much different from the jump vault system where if you you know are a subscriber you can read these chapters you know as many times as you want as long as you don't exceed 100 chapters read in a day and you have access to the full catalog of shonen jump titles that viz has under their umbrella and is made available on their service so in that way it seems like oh this is not really competing you know effectively with a jump app but it still seems like oh this is an effort to compete and continue to build up the reputation or build up like attention towards Monica Plus over the jump app. And so that has gotten, of course, like a lot of our localizer friends very concerned, very frustrated, very understandably. And there's also a lot of fears of like potentially this is kind of like a stop campaign, like kind of like a year, this year campaign is like kind of meant to build to something even bigger that is meant to take away from the Shonen Jump app, which mm. is another big concern. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's something we're going to have to monitor to see, like, what they are trying to do with this. I mean, I don't appreciate the comments that the editors have made in their recent interviews, of course, of, like, wanting to rely more on machine translation and putting out content faster rather than focusing on the quality and focusing on, you know, working with localizers to make the best quality localized version of the comic. And also to, you know, trying to undermine efforts to pay them fair wages by using agencies that have the reputation of underpaying their localization staff quite extensively for like their exclusive titles. So it is just a situation that's worth kind of monitoring. I think that for the reader perspective, uh, especially for international readers, this is a cool opportunity to read through these series from the big picture industry perspective, especially on the localization side it is something that might be of concern and we'll just have to see how this campaign and how this effort pays off in terms of what it does for manga plus promotion and how that affects the relationship with viz it's just a very curious situation that I don't know how this is going to turn out, where this is going to lead, but I've been seeing a lot of worries and concerns out of the ether from folks we know and trust, and just from the comments of the editors themselves in the interviews, you know, I do expect kind of some ill intentions, like at least like on the side of like, you know, we want to put out like all this manga and make it accessible, we want to do it on the cheap, and that will have some serious costs to the people who have for the longest time been responsible for actually making it possible to read these series. So yeah, it's just a conversation worth to be had about this news. No, for sure. Um, that is definitely something we need to keep an eye on. The main speculation I've been seeing is like they're going to try and relaunch Manga Plus to compete with Viz with a subscription model by tr- using this campaign to try out like how it would work by having like a service that offers every chapter of every series. So it's very suspicious, especially since, of course, you know, this affects all territories that Viz operates in. There's like, oh, complete 100% overlap. So, you know, it does feel like they are trying to compete. <laughs> Strangely, it feels like they're trying to compete with themselves, but really... They do want to undermine Viz because they want to undermine the cost of localization by using their own methods that cost much cheaper for them. Yeah, probably a lot of uh, publishing uh, localization politics. I don't know if, what you want to call it. Involved yeah. probably uh, office politics, I guess. I don't know. But um, yeah, the, the only thing that kind of makes me wonder about this is like, because, you know, it's already $2 to use Viz's Shonen Jump app. Like, unless they're willing to make literally everything available on their app even backlog chapters free that's the only way i could see them even like competing with the shonen jump app and i'm not sure if they're willing to do that yeah like how low are they willing to lower the bar uh that is something that is going to have to remain to be seen like how low can they lower the bar in terms of like the cost if they like they start charging for the app or they ultimately make it free how far like they willing to go in order to undermine Viz? Like, look, you know, over in Japan, I know like Shueisha does a lot of campaigns where it's like, oh, you can read like this much One Piece for free for like a week or whatever. And like, so, you know, they've done stuff like that before, but it's like, I don't see Shueisha being like, hey, we're going to offer the entirety of every series on here, including stuff like One Piece for free all the time. Like, I don't see them doing that, but I guess we'll have to see. I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't expect that unless it's like really a campaign that is like viciously meant to undermine Viz's business. But I don't, I don't know. Maybe this is just us overly being cautious or kind of suspicious or paranoid. It's worth keeping an eye out for though. Yeah, it it does feel like there's something going on here that, you know, there is some conflict between the Viz side and the Shueisha side, and these apps are in direct competition for each other, and, like, this is, like, a power play move in order to, like, again, attract interest and attention away from Jump to Manga Plus. So, very, very curious... We'll have to see how this pans out. Look, hopefully in a year from now, hopefully we can look back on these and just be like, man, those good thing that were just theories. Hopefully that will be the case. Hopefully. Speaking of app additions, Oski has added some more titles from Glacier Bay books and Starfruit books. These include, from the Glacier Bay side, False Stars, Riding Red Hood's Wolf Apprentice by Siyakamogi. Unchance House by Ayumi Arasaka. And from Starfruit Books, we've got Look Into My Eyes from Miyako Yoko and The Town You Live In by Ubinoji. These are titles, of course, that have been published by these publishers before, but now they're available as part of the ASCII subscription. Which is cool to see more titles get added from these indie publishers. No, that's that's really cool. Uh, if you've been interested in any of those, you should check out Azuki and read those. In addition, we have some news uh, in terms of, like, you know, we talked about, oh, we want, like, Bloodbacade Battlefront to be, like, licensed rescued before. But there was a big licensed rescue from Kodansha that happened recently. Yeah, let's talk about that. So uh, Kodansha announced recently that, uh, and I guess by the time you're listening to this episode, this should be available, but they're going to make... All 25 volumes of GTO, Great Teacher Onizuka manga, plus all nine volumes of GTO, 14 Days in Shonan, the sequel manga, all available. You'll be able to read it on places like Bookwalker, Comixology, Kindle, basically wherever you can read manga. And, uh, you know, I hate to be such a downer because in normal circumstances, I would be very happy about this news. But we know better at this point because we know that Great Teacher Onizuka, for those who don't know, was originally licensed by Tokyo Pop, and we did do an episode on GTO a few years back at this point, and uh, I'm sure if I remember correctly, we did talk a lot about Tokyo Pop's release in general, because uh, if you look online, basically what's available digitally now, basically Kodansha just put up the original Tokyo Pop release of GTO and 14 Days in Shonan, and I I haven't read 14 Days in Shonan in particular, but I know that uh, from reading the original Tokyo Pop release of Great Teacher Onizuka, um, it's not good. It's like probably 5% better than like whatever online scans you might find for the series, but it's really like not that much of an improvement. Yeah, it's one of Tokyo Pop's shoddier releases. To be sure. Like, you know, if you look on the Anime News Network article for this, you can see the preview pages for this release. And like, if you look at the preview pages in particular, they're clearly just using the old Tokyo Pop release, which it's it's kind of a shame because, you know, I, I really do think GTO really deserves like ju- just an entire retooling. Like this really needs to like out of any Tokyo Pop like license rescue that Kodansha's gotten a hold of. It, it maybe the other ones needed just as bad. I don't know for sure. I haven't read them, but like, th- this is the one that like I really wish they would just kind of go back and redo. But uh, 
uh, the problem is that would cost money, and I don't think Kodansha wants to spend a lot of money, as we've seen with a bunch of different manga publishers lately. So it's it's kind of disheartening that, like, man, GTO is finally available digitally, but yeah, no, it's it just it's gonna it's gonna look as shitty as it did originally. Like, no changes there. It's just it's just up. So I mean, if you want to read GTO like, and you don't already own all the Tokyo Pop release like I do. Then, you know, th- this is great for those people who don't already own it. Like, I'm happy for anyone who doesn't already own it. But for someone like me who already owns it, this just doesn't really interest me, unfortunately. It's just, it, it just kind of bums me out, honestly. Yeah, it's unfortunate they they aren't going through the effort of, like, we just redoing the Tokyo Pop translation and localization. Because, yeah, it is pretty shoddy. At, at the very least, because of how pricey GTO can get to collect on the second-hand market. It is at least worthwhile that it is available at all in some form. Especially since I believe this will, if it's not already, it'll probably never be made as part of the unlimited subscription. So that'd be pretty decent. I will say 14 Days in Shonan, because that was done by Vertical, is at least better localization. Okay, that's good. Though the series itself is a much worse series than the original GTO. It's not like Paradise Lost levels of pointless but it's also like well this is pretty much a retread of gto diminishing returns with every gto uh <laughs> spinoff really after <laughs> gto yeah we, we definitely talked about that before i'm curious if shonan junaigumi will be made available soon as well since if they have requisitioned gto from tokyo bob if they've gotten 14 years in shonan from vertical then yeah i mean maybe you know with Shonan Junegumi having been split between Tokyo Pop and Vertical, they'll be able to get that all as well. Though I, again, much like with GTO, I don't expect Shonan Junegumi's localization to be changed at all either. But that's another one where, you know, those 10 volumes done by Tokyo Pop can be pricey. Uh, so it'll be nice for folks to be able to read it digitally at a cheaper cost entry. No, I was going to say, yeah, the only thing that would have, like, made me feel better about this news was if it did include Shonan Junai Gumi or GTO the Early Years, as it's called over here. Because, um, you know, uh, that was a series that where, you know, when we originally did GTO, that was kind of my next goal was to, like, try to collect all of the early years. And uh, I only have two volumes of those. So it would be nice if that was made digitally at some point so that way i wouldn't have to worry about collecting it physically because i i do want to read it i've been wanting to read it basically ever since we did that episode you know all those years ago but like i don't know like it, it does give me some kind of hope now that they've gotten both of these titles that maybe we can get the original shonan junai gumi i guess we'll have to see even if it is just the old tokyo pop release for most of it that that's one where like i haven't read it yet so i i would at least like that to be available in some way digitally at some point but i guess we'll have to see Mm-hmm. I own it all in print, but yeah, no. Again, it is a bit pricey to collect those Tokyo Pop volumes, so it'd be nice to have that made available for more folks to like check it out, especially since it's more underrated compared to GTO. I want to see where Onizuka got his start. On uh, other Kodansha news before we head into like kind of our licensing list, we'll mention that a title that they've been doing digitally for a while is coming to print soon in the summer, and that is Blue Lock, the very popular soccer manga that 
has been going pretty strong in Weekly Shonen Magazine for the past couple of years and is getting a TV anime this year. So, yeah, I guess in anticipation for that, we're getting it to print, which will be cool to see. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Um, I mean, it's just cool that, like, any sports series gets, like, a print release, honestly, because I, I think that really shows you, like, how much they really believe in, like, how well that release will probably do, hopefully. Um, so that that's that's really cause for celebration right there. That is pretty cool. Especially for a sports title. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah. there's still a stigma of, like, sports, manga, sports series don't do as well. It's so it's good to see publishers, like, take a chance on publishing those in print, especially longer titles, and a title that's actively ongoing, like Blue Lock. No, for sure. All right, but with uh, some of that stuff out of the way, I think we should finally get on to our respective licensing lists. And uh, Lum, I think you should go ahead and uh, talk about your licensing highlights first. Indeed, there were several big licensing announcements, a lot of licenses announced by different publishers, and perhaps the publisher that had like the most titles in quantity that attracted my eye was Kadansha. So we'll start with Kadansha, and we'll start with their digital first titles that are coming out in February. Starting with Tying the Knot with an Amagami Sister from Marcy Naito. This came out on February 1st, so probably by the time you're listening to this, you'll be able to check it out. And this is about a guy who, you know, is trying to matriculate into medical school. But when he arrives at his new foster home, it turns out to be a working shrine, so he doesn't really have a quiet place to study. And he is living with three beautiful, lively sisters. And he learns he is being asked to marry one of them to take over the temple. Now, this sounds like kind of a funny kind of rom-com love square premise with this guy and these three sisters. And this guy's like trying to go to medical school, but like he has to marry into like this very spiritual family who works at the shrine. So I think that could lead into some fun shenanigans and hijinks. And I think the art and character designs of the sisters is very cute. So it seems very interesting to me. Similar rom-coms, uh, more romantic drama, I suppose this title is. But Falling Drowning is the next title I'm going to ne- talk about, and that comes from Yukonari, and that will come out on February 8th. And this is about a girl in her sophomore year of high school, and there are a bunch of rumors floating around that she's dating her childhood friend, and she's not opposed to the idea, but she doesn't really know if she really loves her friend romantically. And then a big aloof transfer student appears and that muddies the waters even further because apparently he connects to a past she can't really remember. So she has to figure out like what she truly wants and her head and and her heart are like pulling her in two different directions. And I think that sounds like a kind of a interesting premise in terms of like this girl who like is trying to figure out what romantic love is and like who she really loves. Like, she's close with this one guy, but she doesn't know if she really loves this guy. Then this other guy is from her past, but she doesn't really know how she feels about him either. And I think the cover was particularly striking of, like, the characters all, like, falling down, like they're sinking into a pond of water or something. And so that caught my eye. And so, yeah, this sounds like an interesting, like, romantic drama, just, like, figuring out, like, what is like, love to these different characters and navigating their relationships. Now, the next 
title I'll mention in the last of the digital first titles that I want to spotlight is The Transcendent One-Sided Love of Yoshida to Catch by Shizuki Fujisawa, and that's coming out on February 15th. And this is about, like, a guy who's, like, super cool, smart, and good-looking. He's, like, a superstar of his company. Every woman miles around has interest in him. But he only has eyes for one woman himself, like the manga artist and a walking disaster. And he's the glue that holds her entire team together and also lints through every deadline. But even though, you know, he's, you know, personally super great and he's got a bunch of management skills that are pretty obvious, like his love is really one-sided. Like even though he's doing so much to help this woman, like she has not paid any attention to him. So he's like an overachiever, so I think he's going to get very competitive, and he's going to like really try his hardest to catch the eye of this mangaka artist who he's really in love with, and who he wants to notice him. I think that's a fun little dynamic to have between these two characters. I appreciate that this seems like this is kind of an adult romance series as well, considering they're both like working professionals. And yeah, like I think that is a nice premise to have like this guy who has a attention and is wooed by uh, so many different girls like is struggling to attract the attention of the one girl he really genuinely loves and yeah i think that sounds like a fun premise for romantic comedy and also i think the personalities of the characters seem like they'll bounce off well and i think the character design of the cover looks really appealing so it is a title that has my interest and i'm keen to hear more about and check out now, they also announced that there are titles coming to print in the fall. We mentioned before that there are some new horror manga that's been licensed, and one of those is from the queen of horror manga, Inoue Kanako. And Kadansha has announced that they have licensed her series Be Very Afraid of Inui Kanako for a fall 2022 debut. This book is a short story collection that has six of Kanako's handpicked tales and they have commentary from her himself and she's had like a career that spans 30 years. And she has, like, a lot of cool, creepy, like, monster stories out of delighted and trilled readers for a generation. So it's going to be interesting to see, like, you know, this very acclaimed horror mangaka finally get her due and have a collection of her works available in English over here. And I'm very keen to check it out. Let's check out some of her most popular titles and this best of collection of her work. And the final Kadansha title I want to spotlight is a new title by an author we have spotlighted in their one-shot several times before as they've been translated from Yuridori, and that's Iuta Isaki. They have a new series that is going to be coming out in print from Kadansha called Is Love the Answer this fall, and it is a coming-of-age story about a young woman coming to her own as she comes to understand and discover her identity as an aromantic asexual. So it's a single volume work building off of themes and ideas that Isaki explored in many kinds of sexual. And yeah, it's like about a girl who kind of feels alienated because she's never really felt romantic or sexual desire. And people have been telling, well, she's just a late bloomer, but she has her doubts. And when she entered college and she meets 
peers like herself, like presumably other asexual people like herself, she realizes, oh, there's a word for what she feels inside. She's not alone or the one. And she realizes that, hey, that's just a man and that's perfectly normal and cool for me. So I'm glad to see, you know, another work spotlighting centering on an asexual character, especially one from Misaki who has explored that identity before in their work and is now like fully fleshing it out in this title. And yeah, I'm super excited to read this when it comes out because I really have loved Isaki's works covering their one shots and reviewing them and I'm really looking forward to yeah checking out like a full graphic novel of theirs mm-hmm. I, I'll definitely check it out too I was actually pretty excited for that one on the subject of queer titles there is one from Tokyo Pop that actually caught my eye and that is Yuri Eswar from My Naoya that is going to come out in print in July July 26th but it'll be released digitally on March 23rd and this is about a girl who finds out that she's being forced into a marriage of convenience when she graduates high school and she feels like her life is like ending before her eyes like her freedom is ending and so she's going to make the most of her final year of high school to indulge in her love of other women and create an incredible sketchbook of lesbian romances to leave behind as her right and so she goes and observes the young women of her town, the young lesbian lovers of her town, and she learns about their desires, their struggles, and the unpredictable ones of loves. And this sounds like a really interesting premise to explore different girl-girl relationships, different lesbian couples and relationships, and the art is very appealing. And yeah, so I find this very interesting, and I'll definitely be keen to check this out. And then another title from Tokyo Pop that actually caught my eye was Alice in by Shonen Land, which is about a girl, of course, named Alice. And when you know it, she is transported into another world and is another one where she's transported into games. Like she's not, she's an ordinary girl. Her best friend loves idol games. She doesn't really find the appeal in them. But when her friend is chosen as like one of the top like idol fangirls in the country and gets drawn into the game, she ends up getting pulled along for the ride. And so she now has to deal with like her different idol group members and she has to like spend money in gadgets. She has to find a way to make them like the best idol group and take them to the top in order to get out of the world. And so that sounds like a funny premise in of itself to have this person who's like not interested in idols and idol culture at all have to figure out how to make a successful idol group in like this idol game world. But it also caught my eye because this comes from Yushi Kawata who's doing the story and Yukido who's doing the art and these artists previously did the Fist of North Star spin-off series Ichigo Achi or Strawberry Flavor which was a spin-off manga about Sutter this comedy spin-off manga about Sutter that was adapted as part of DD Fist of North Star season 2 in the anime and I really enjoyed uh, those segments I thought they were very funny so upon recognizing them oh they created that oh yeah I think that I'm pretty confident in that oh this is going to be a type of humor that appeals to me and that made me very keen to check it out. So I am looking forward to seeing how this one turns out because the premise seems good and then the creators attached to it seem like, oh yeah, I have enjoyed their work before, at least uh, the adaptation there were before. So I'm looking forward to it. Now, a Yen Press title I want to talk about that, you know, wears us back into the genre of romance is Kolun Generic Romance from Jun Mayazuki, the author of After the Rain. And this was a title that when I saw that Yen announced it, I was like, oh shit, because <laughs> this is a title that I have heard so much buzz, so much praise about for a long time, years now, people have 
really talked the series up. And I enjoyed it after the rain a lot too. So in general, I'm looking forward to a new work from Miyazuki. But yeah, just the reputation of this one, it precedes it. It's definitely like a bigger title that has been licensed in this batch that I'm super excited about. And you know, the general premise is that you know, it takes place in like this dystopian walled city which is full of people who like are just super nostalgic it's a place where the past present and future converge and it's like a, a story that explores the feelings and daily lives of the people in the city and the relations to get caught up in so yeah like i'm i'm very intrigued and excited for this one as a fan of the office we're gonna also have just hearing so much buzz about the series for a long time and I'll close off by mentioning some Seven Seas titles that have caught my eye and got me excited. First up is You're Like Me, Not My Daughter by Teshin Azuma, which is adapting a light novel series by the same name from Kota Nozomi and Gyo Nio. And this is going to come out in November in print. And this is about a woman whose sister died leaving her daughter all alone. And, you know, she stepped up and kind of adopted the child herself. And so, like, her niece adopted the daughter now is like a teenager. And she's like a 30-something-year-old. And she thinks that she senses love in the air between her daughter and their handsome college-age neighbor, Takumi. Who's she, who had, you know, been tutoring her daughter since uh, she was young. And she thinks, you know, there might be, like, a blossoming relationship between them. But he's not interested in her daughter. He's interested in her. He's had a crush on her for the longest time. So it's kind of an age gap romantic comedy. But it's one between two consenting adults in this instance. Which made me appreciate it. It's about a 30-something-year-old woman and a guy in his 20s. And, yeah, it seems like it could be, like, a fun, cute little rom-com series. And the last title I want to mention brings us to our first title of Seven Seas' new Steamship Imprint. And to mention that, this is like a big new news that Seven Seas has launched a new imprint called Steamship that is going to have titles that are, you know, kind of steamy, sexy romance stories for women. It is like kind of in line with their ghost ship imprint, but the difference is where ghost ship, you know, has kind of titles that I guess you would say are more aimed towards the male demographic. Steamship is meant more towards women in terms of like, you know, they both publish many titles, but like the type of appeal is going to be different uh, between the two imprints. I really like the Steamship logo a lot. I think the steamship is really nice, and I like, like, the heart that's coming out of the chimney. But yeah, the steamship title that I am going to mention is Game Between the Suits from Mine Nishikata that's going to be published in August. It's about a woman who, you know, has worked hard to climb the ranks at her firm, doesn't let anything stand her away, even if it costs her lover after lover. And her new colleague is, you know, obedient enough in the boardroom, but in private, you know, he's very challenging challenging and flirtatious with her. You know, he really wants to be in a relationship with her and he's not afraid to show it. So they kind of hook up once and she's just, you know, it's not going to happen again. But Ryochi is like, nah, we will and she'll agree to it. And so they end up having an affair that the protagonist is like, oh, I'm just only going to last until I find someone more suitable to my station temperament. But Ryochi is confident he's going to win against any other suitor. So it ends up being like a sizzling game, a push and pull that's going to set their office alight. So this intrigued me because it's seems, first of all, I, I appreciate and like office romance 
stories. And I also think that the psychological competitive aspect of their relationship is interesting to me. That, like, they're both, like, in a mutual relationship. But, like, you know, she is, like, saying, ah, I'm not going to be won over by you in the end. You know, you are just a temporary lover. And Richie's like, nah, you are going to fall in love with me uh, during the course of this relationship. I'm going to be competitive and went out against any other suitor you might consider besides me. So I think that could be an interesting, like, psychological kind of relationship that grows and deepens into something more, you know, intimate and personal. And I feel more confident that, like, the power dynamic between the characters will be more even considering the cover and the way they both kind of look at each other. And it's a very provocative cover, too, which catches my eye. So I think, yeah, this sounds like an interesting title that I'd definitely be keen to check out. And there's definitely another title in the imprint that I'm very interested in, but I think that's on your list. And with my list out of the way, I think we'll head into your licensing roundup yeah cool because uh i was actually going to start with seven c's anyway uh so we'll just go ahead and start off with that first title that you just alluded to with ladies on top by oh boy uh neji gata menta in all caps i think i pronounced that right in which mizuki seems like an ordinary office lady tidy cute quiet and looking for mr right but while she yearns for love she's left cold by traditional romances where men take the lead then at the age of 24 Mizuki discovers Shinomiya, a seemingly perfect guy at the office who likes aggressive women, and something awakens in her. Uh, together, Mizuki and Shinomiya learn that reversing traditional gender roles can be both liberating and exciting, especially in bed. And uh, all I'm going to say about this is that um, this title caters to my particular needs, and I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought it sounded pretty uh, uh, steamy and interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, in general, I am looking forward to seeing like what kind of titles come out of this like new imprint from Seven Seas. I'm sure they'll license a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's just very nice to see more titles cater towards women, uh, more, you know, adult oriented, like Jose titles in particular. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. A lot of people were super happy and excited about this, myself included. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, the two titles we mentioned of the like kind of launch titles were the most intriguing. But, you know, I think that they there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of other titles to get licensed under this imprint that, yeah, I am very glad that they're making an effort to create a space for the. Uh, next up, I want to mention Imaginary by Nero Ikuhana. That'll be coming out this August, in which back when Takasu was a kid, he harbored a secret, and that was he was in love with his best friend, Micah. But Micah moved away for school before he could gather his courage and confess. Now, as adults, they've reconnected as friends, and being together brings memories of their shared past rushing back. It was so easy to fantasize wild things when they were children, but as adults, what are their fantasies now? Uh, this inventive and beautifully illustrated romantic drama explores the fantastical moments hiding in the everyday and how a rich inner life can be a guide to a different future. So, yeah, I thought this was an interesting sort of concept of, like, like I just mentioned, these two kids that unfortunately had the part ways now kind of, like, gathering together as adults and kind of reuniting and see, like, what kind of relationship they can have, you know, from then, from, you know, after being apart for so long. I just, I just find that kind of relationship dynamic kind of interesting, and I would love to read about that. Uh, next up, we have Dinosaurs Sanctuary from Itaru Kinoshita coming this September, in which in 1946, someone discovered an island where dinosaurs had survived into the present. Through breeding and genetic manipulation, humans managed to increase their population and supercharge their popularity until, well, 
the unfortunate accident uh, when people's attitudes soured on the idea of visiting dinosaurs. This story follows a rookie zookeeper who is newly hired at Enoshima Dino Land, a struggling dinosaur sanctuary and fascinating creatures who need specialized love and care. So this is basically a manga about what happens after Jurassic Park, basically. And yeah, you know, maybe it's because I like series like Omaga Doki Zoo, but I'm I can I could use more series that take place in like zoos and like specialized like animal habitats and stuff. I just like animal stuff in general. And also this is a dinosaur manga, so like there was no way that this wasn't going to be on my list, so I just figured it was worth mentioning. But that really about does it for like the Seven Seas titles I wanted to mention, and I want to go back to Kodansha. And uh, the first one I want to mention, more so out of curiosity, if anything, is uh, Kodansha is going to be publishing a full-color edition of Parasite, the original Parasite manga from Hitoshi Iwaki uh, that we have covered on the show a couple months back at this point. If you don't know what Parasite is, it is basically about this kid who uh, gets invaded by uh, this alien-like creature who tries to, like, invade him by going to his brain, but he eventually stops it by... Uh, basically stops it at his arm, so like you know, it takes over his uh, his hand, and uh, they eventually have to fight other parasitic creatures from there. And uh, you know, if you haven't listened to our episode on it or haven't read it, um, I think Lum and I can both you know fully recommend Parasite. It is a very good manga, and um, I thought it was really cool that they're going to be doing this full color edition. So it's going to be an, once again another way that you can read Parasite because it's kind of hard to not read Parasite since it's like so available nowadays. I'm kind of interested in like how this release will look because like you know the release of Parasite that we have now the like the original version that isn't in color was basically just repurposed from like whatever Delray put out originally. So like I wonder if like this release is going to have to have like new lettering maybe or like. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of interested. I'm just interested in seeing like how this will look compared to like what we have right now or if it'll be the same. I don't know. I'm, I'd am i be interested in picking it up just to see like how it looks comparatively or maybe there'll be no changes. I don't know. Yeah, it'll be curious. Um, but yeah, the first volume of that's going to be coming out this fall. And then the only other thing I want to mention from Kodansha is that uh, they put up the first 10 volumes of a series from uh, Shuichi Shigeno, who, if you don't know, is the author of such series as uh, Initial D that you can also uh, just read all of on like Comixology through Kodansha, basically anywhere you can read Kodansha manga. But yeah, they're going to be putting up another series of his with MF Ghost. Uh, which is a series that takes place in the 2020s when self-driving cars are ubiquitous in Japan. The series centers on Kanata Livington, a Japanese driver who goes back to Japan after graduating at the top of his class at a racing school in England. Uh, the series also focuses on the MFG, a racing circuit on public roads that has garnered attention worldwide. So it's basically another racing manga, but... You know, I, I thought this was interesting just because, like, you know, not only is it another series that, like, Kodansha is just putting up a lot of, but, like, I guess this is getting an anime, too, so I guess it makes sense, like, why they would make, like, a bunch of it available all at once, but, um, yeah, I don't know, I just, um, you know, admittedly I haven't read Initial D, so, you know, I don't have a lot of context for, like, a lot of Shigeno's works, but, uh, I don't know, I'm just generally interested in, like, racing manga, you know, I think those could be really fun, and, you know, both this and Initial D are definitely, like, on my list to read at some point. Yeah, initially it's really cool, so I'm glad to see another one of the greatest works come out here and check it out. 
I'm also glad that at least out of any of Shigeno's works that are going to be like available in English, that this is going to have a chance at having like a good localization that wasn't done by Tokyo Pop, that wasn't just repurposed, you know, so that that's kind of nice. I am happy for that in particular. But yeah, that was basically about it for anything I want to mention from Kodansha. Uh, and now I want to move on to the one title I want to mention from Yen Press, which is a new light novel uh, from Matsuri Isora and Nana Fujimi called Silent Witch, in which Monica Everett, the Silent Witch, is the world's only practitioner of voiceless magic, a veritable heroine who single-handedly fended off uh, the Black Dragon of Legend. However, the young prodigy is actually super-duper shy. Turns out, uh, she only learned voiceless magic to avoid speaking in public. Ignorant of this, the Seven Sages have placed her on a top-secret mission to guard the Second Prince. Can Monica keep it together as she contends with both social interaction and the evils targeting the young royal? And uh, I think this sounds like a pretty, like, fun premise of this really powerful witch who developed this entirely new magic, basically just so she can't talk to people. I think that's just an entire mood. And yeah, I don't know. This just sounds like it could be really fun. I, I really like the idea of this character. So yeah, I, I would definitely really uh, love to check this out. Yeah, absolutely. And then next up, I know you had a title on your list from Tokyo Pop, and I will admit some of the stuff that Tokyo Pop is uh, has just announced recently. Um, I really hate to give them any kind of credit, but I will say that like some of the titles they announced like actually do sound kind of cool and pretty cute. And I do actually have two of them I want to mention. The first one being Dekoboko Bittersweet Days by Atsuko Yusen, uh, which will be coming out on March 2022. They'll be coming out both digitally and in print, um, in which Tiny and Adorable, when they first met uh, Rui, who is still just as adorable, now looms over his boyfriend Yujiro. Uh, though they were little more than best friends at first, the confusion over their true feelings for one another smoldered until they both confessed. Now every day passes with such overwhelming sweetness, it's all they can do not to ask themselves, am I allowed to be this happy? Uh, the final high school judo contest, the last summer of their high school careers and beyond, the thought of his future with Rui makes Yujiro's heart a flutter. A slow burn love story uh, between a diminutive athletic teen and his towering kind-hearted best friend as they journey uh, the slightly bitter road to adulthood towards sweeter days. And this checks a lot of boxes for me, actually. Uh, one, that it's just about a nice, wholesome relationship. Uh, and two, one of them is tall and one of them is short. I, I can't get enough of that kind of stuff. So uh, this is one I would definitely love to check out for those reasons in particular. Yeah, this is a sequel to Dekoboko Sugar Days. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know that. a few years ago. So it was a very sweet BL title. And yeah, I'm glad to see the sequel book come out. And definitely excited to see the relationship of Rui and Yujiro continue to grow and deepen. Mm, so is this like a go for it Nakamura kind of thing where like, this is like the, like the sequel volume to that original volume, I guess? Is that how that works? Or Yes. Okay, okay, cool. Okay, I'll, I'll definitely have to check this out then. Uh, the other one I want to uh, highlight from Tokyo Pop is Yagi the Bookshop Goat by Fumi Furukawa. Uh, that'll be coming out on April 26th in print, uh, but will actually be released digitally, I guess, way later in the year on December 8th, in which uh, Yagi is a rare sort of goat, uh, one who loves reading books just as much as eating them. Uh, with a special talent to taste feelings contained upon paper, he always dreamed of becoming a bookseller. Unfortunately, paper munching goats aren't exactly welcome in bookstores, even in a world where all different animals live in peaceful coexistence. Eventually, Yagi is able to persuade Okami, the strict wolf manager, 
into giving him a job at his bookshop. But can a goat surrounded by books resist his natural instincts? And what about the instincts of a wolf who's been charmed by a sweet and tender goat? So again, this this just sounds really cute. And I also wasn't expecting this to just be like an entire Beastars, uh, Zootopia kind of animal world. So I'm definitely uh, very interested in that. And yeah, just it just sounds really cute. And I would love to read it. Uh, and then I think the last title I'm going to highlight is from Cross Infinite World, which I believe is a light novel entitled uh, On Miyoji and Tengu Eyes, the Spirit Hunters of Tomoe from Yoshiko Utamine and Yone Kazuki. Uh, that'll be coming out digitally on June 27th, in which paranormal incidents heat up when two mysterious men cross paths in Tomoe, a small town in Hiroshima with a long history of supernatural encounters. Misato Miyazawa is a strikingly beautiful young man with a troubled past, uh, born to his distinguished family of Onmyoji, which are basically divination specialists. Uh, Misato is no stranger to the occult. That's why he jumps at the chance to join the abnormal disaster unit in Tumway's Town Hall Crisis Management Division. That is quite the mouthful. Uh, a unit more commonly known as the Spirit Hunters. Enter Ryoji Karino, a fiery, handsome man with peculiar greed and silver eyes, working as a freelance monk and raised by a man claiming to be a Tengu. Ryoji is by no means an average citizen. Uh, when he finds Misato in a sticky situation, he kindly steps in and the mismatched pair end up living together. What dark mysteries will unravel before them as they attempt to confront paranormal happenings under the constraints of government rules? And, uh, you know, th this one's a pretty simple hook for me. Uh, the supernatural story involving two hot guys, like, that just sounds pretty cool, actually. I'd, I'd definitely read that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really about it for my list. Um, but I, I, again, I think between the both of us, we we picked um, a pretty good amount of licenses. There there was actually a point before we recorded this episode where I was like, oh, man, there's not like a whole lot of licenses coming out. Maybe we can actually cover them. And then like a whole bunch of them from like Tokyo Pop and Kodansha came out. I'm like, OK, now we need to start making lists. Yeah. No, there was a lot of great titles that were licensed and announced, and I think we spotlighted some really excellent ones in particular. So, yeah, I mean, the year is already starting off with a lot to look forward to. For sure, for sure. Um, But I think that's really going to be about it for, like, licensing stuff if we just want to move on to some really interesting industry news. Yeah, there's a lot of industry shakeups that's been happening in terms of acquisitions and the ongoing fight against piracy groups. Starting off on the acquisition front, uh, I think a big, big news as far as like the English anime localization side is that AMC Networks has acquired Sentai Filmics. Now, AMC Networks isn't a separate entity from the AMC theater chain. The AMC Networks is like the AMC channel and the related channels to that, which includes like Acorn TV shutters and then now and stuff like that. So AMC Networks has kind of acquired Sentai and High Dive as part of its portfolio. And they plan to kind of use the acquisition to add their IP franchises to their library for their streaming content and platforms. So uh, I don't think High Dive will be affected, uh, will be touched rather, but I think we'll see Sentai titles be made available on AMC's other platforms, like the relevant titles probably will be available on like their other like streaming services as well potentially on the network itself who knows but the acquisition of sentai really does leave just discotech as the kind of sole remaining big like licensor and distributor as far as anime distribution goes so it's 
it's an interesting shakeup, you know, for the anime industry to have like big companies kind of have a stake and acquire and own like all the other uh, licensors and distributors now. Mm. I wonder if we're going to start seeing uh, Lupin the Third on uh, on the AMC channel now. I mean, maybe <laughs> we could definitely see AMC titles, uh, you know, Sentai titles on AMC <laughs> networks. Like it could totally happen mm-hmm. now. So we'll see. And uh, so far, it seems that like everyone who is, you know, on staff and executive roles at Sentai will continue at AMC Sentai, you know, in their roles, in senior roles. So there haven't been any announcements of like kind of layoffs or shakeups there as far as we know yet. So that's promising, at least, you know, if Sentai continue to just operate, you know, how they have been, but they're owned by AMC now and maybe have like more capital at the disposal i think that's okay but it is just kind of you know interesting to be in a state that you know like and all the big distributors are pretty much owned by bigger companies besides discotech so yeah it is uh changing times because i mean that's not the only acquisition we got to talk about because Cinedime acquired Asian Crush and Retro Crush. Like Digital Media Rights is the company that owns Retro Crush, Asian Crush, and Pulp, and they've all been bought by Cinedime. So now Cinedime has all of Digital Media Rights' 15 streaming services. And they did this in order to increase their Asian drama and film and anime content by having access to their services and their catalogs. So... We'll see how this will affect them. Like, Cinedime says that they want to expand DMR's advertising network with its own ad sales infrastructure, and they want to migrate their content library to their Matchpoint platform, which they hope will reduce their operating costs and strength to revenue growth. And then they want to leverage their social media division to grow engagement of its social media streaming channels with the goal of it establishing new ad organizations so they're you know all talking about the business end about like oh how are we going to make this profitable and all that i'm curious of how that'll affect like kind of the service itself uh from the viewer's standpoint in terms of like the availability of content uh, will this increase costs or anything we don't know quite yet but again it's interesting to see like again digital media rights it was the company's own right but now it's been acquired and bought by you know someone even bigger so it's a, not a big shakeup. And yeah, I mean, Cinedime has definitely increased their streaming channels by quite a bit from just like having Viewster and Con TV and whatnot. Cinedime has been no stranger to having anime or distributing anime before because they distributed like Belladonna, Sadness, and maybe some other titles. And Con TV aired a bunch of like streamed a bunch of anime. Rather, like uh, Con TV streamed like Satan Seiya for some time and Sad Spell for some time when they were just released by, was it Central Park or whatever? No, not that. Uh, but yeah, no, like, so it's interesting to see them like kind of reach out and expand more into like anime uh, and Asian media. But yeah, I mean, that really does it for kind of anime distributor acquisition news. Now we'll turn our attention to piracy news. The first big piece to talk about is that Japan's Koda and companies from several other countries have kind of teamed up to form their own international anti-piracy organizations explicitly focused on manga and anime. It is 
yeah, called the International Antipiracy Organization, IAPO. It's going to really launch in April. And yeah, so CODA is at the center of the organization. And they include like companies like Kodansha, Shueisha, Shogun, Aniplex, Katokawa, Sunrise, Ghibli. And all the big companies are a part of it. But they're also including the Motion Picture Association of the U.S., which includes members from Sony and Netflix and a bunch of members from the copyright side of China, about 450 members and companies and copyright protection groups from South Korea and Vietnam are going to be participating too. And the goal of IAPO is going to be to curb the piracy among an anime and assist in law enforcement with criminal investigations in the field, especially criminal investigations that require corroboration from law enforcement in multiple countries. And the director of CODA has stated to Torrent Freak that Coda planned the foundation of the coalition last year. So yeah, it's a big move to like create this like international anti-piracy organization just for anime and manga. And we'll see like the consequences. We'll see the efficacy of their group how it all pan out. But clearly, like, this is being done because, as has been reported by the Sankei News and, you know, other groups, piracy does cost the manga industry a lot. Like, it costs them 1.19 trillion yen, like $8.76 billion in 2021, which was like a 4.8 increase over what it was the past two years, while official sales only increased 1.6 times. So, like, even though sales of manga have been increasing, the potential uh, revenue that has been lost due to piracy has been growing even greater. And there's, like, you know, 900 piracy websites out there to get billions of views, which has only increased, like, 2.5 times these past two years. There's been a lot of uh, calculated lost revenues through these page counts of like these websites so yeah it's going to be interesting to see like how well IAPO is going to be able to affect that number and there continues to be existing efforts to take down piracy sites that are happening even before IAPO really gets off the ground because as also been reported recently by Asahi Shimbun, Kodansha, Shueisha, Shikaku, and Katakawa teamed up to file a lawsuit against Cloudfare in the Tokyo District Court alleging that Cloudfare is distributing data for manga piracy sites that infringe on the publisher's copyrights and they're seeking an injunction of about 40 million yen, 2.5 million in compensation for those damages. And Cloudfare has reportedly had contracts with major piracy sites to distribute data from servers in Japan, even though their administrators are located overseas. And those sites, of course, distribute so many titles, like over 4,000 titles, including all the big popular ones you can think of from the different publishers. And they have like 300 million accesses amount. So Cloudfare is like saying they are not directly involved in this copyright infringement, even though like they host the servers, they host the data or whatever. They don't see themselves as the root of the problem. So we'll see like if the publisher's case against Cloudfare like pans out and Cloudfare will have to pay damages or if they'll be able to get by on the argument that, you know, we are not the ones doing that. We provide like the service these pirates are using, but we are not involved in the piracy directly and we are not responsible for that. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see if like Cloudfare is going to be held to be accountable or if they are able to make a case that no, we are not. And that might potentially have like ramifications for other like servers that are like internet infrastructure companies who may also host these piracy sites or other uh, non-sanctioned pirated or illegal materials down the line. But yeah, big industry shakeups in terms of like these company acquisitions and in terms of the ongoing anti-piracy campaign stuff. And 
That about does it for our coverage of industry news. Now we have industries to talk about. Update on uh, what I mentioned before about like, you know, Con TV aired like Cynthia and Dutch Bell on their service. So it was like new video. New video was the group that had distributed those for a time. And that's why they had uh, been streaming on there. Where I saw them streaming on there. I just wanted to clarify that before we got into our interest news. Which starts off with kind of a, a big piece of relief. Uh, you know, we've been talking about so many important artists who have unfortunately left us recently. And thankfully, Tetsuya Chiba, despite his medical issues, that uh, had some of us worried uh, this past year. You know, he just recently had a heart surgery uh, this past week to put a stint in his coronary artery. And that ended successfully and was released from the hospital. And he's doing well now at the spry old age of 82. So that is a relief because he had a lot of medical problems last summer, including heart problems, problems with his heart valve and coronary artery and a tumor in his throat. And he seemingly has gone through all these procedures and has come out of it energetic. And, you know, he'll need to go to hospital one more time for a repetition in February. But right now, you know, he's just taking it easy, uh, quarantining his house, not trying to go out too much. And that is relief, you know. Big fan of Chiba's work. Uh, obviously, Joe is one of my favorite series. And he's been a, he's an accomplished artist who did so much great work over the years. So, uh, I mean, I'm just glad he's not left us already. Um, you know, he can still live peacefully and happily for a while longer, which just is a relief to hear. And moving on, we are now going to talk about more anime-specific news. And starting off, uh, there's an interesting piece of news that Attack on Titan turned out to be the most in-demand television show uh, in 2021, according to Parrot Analytics. Parrot Analytics, if you don't know, is a company that kind of monitors and tracks streaming data and demand and basically monitors that data is through like a bunch of different metrics uh, through social media and through search data and stuff like that. And according to their data, Attack on Titan, yeah, it was the most in-demand television show, the first non-English series during the title that was previously only held by Walking Dead and Game of Thrones. And apparently DBZ, Dragon Ball Z, was also the most in-demand legacy series. And Disney Plus was the most exceptional streaming platform. And Squid Game was the most in-demand series debut for a non-English series. And yeah, I mean, it really does show the shift of what people are interested in to like, again, like anime and like foreign media. And especially like the high profile, high over stuff like Attack on Titan. And anime in general as a medium has grown in demand by 118% last year. The genre's global demand share increased from 4.2% to 7.1%. It's the third most in-demand global subgenre behind only crime dramas and sitcoms. So anime, hugely popular, hugely in-demand, and Attack on Titan, of all shows, was the most in-demand of anything last year. Which is pretty crazy. Yeah, that that is pretty crazy. Especially since, like, it kind of felt like, I mean, to me anyway, others might disagree. It kind of felt like, to me, for a while, that, like, Attack on Titan just, like, wasn't as big as it, like, uh as it like kind of became like when it first hit the scene i mean obviously like as we could see here a lot of people are very interested in it because the final season's airing right now and there's a lot of like hype around that so i still don't know if we'll ever really get back to like you know the days when like it first hit and like you you could just not get away from like that first opening anywhere and it became a meme up unto itself but like it's still pretty high up there obviously again world's most in-demand show of 2021 you can't really beat that 
Yeah, no, I mean, according to Para, like, global demand for anime is, like, doubled in the last five years. You know, anime is a hugely growing market, and shows like Attack on Titan just prove, like, you know, how mainstream popular it is globally at this point. (sighs) Yeah, anime is pretty big. Who'd thunk it? Which makes it no surprise that more companies are investing in their own original anime projects, including Netflix, which has invested in a big IP to be adapted by Saru, which is Scott Pilgrim. The Scott Pilgrim graphic novels by Brian Lee O'Malley are being adapted by Saru, which, you know, Brian is going to be the showrunner, but Young Choi is going to be producing. Young Choi, of course, was responsible for AC Ken. And it's going to be directed by Abel Gonera, who directed the Star Wars written short, T.O.B. One. And it's also going to be executive produced by Edgar Wright and his producing partners. And it's going to have like a bunch of uh, co-writers from the English side. And yeah, like it's pretty cool to see like this big international collaboration effort from like one of the premier best anime studios in the biz right now. As well as, you know, a very popular beloved comic that definitely has crossover appeal between anime fans and just mainstream comic fans. So yeah, you know, I see our Pilgrim series. I really enjoyed back in the day when I was in high school. It was a lot of fun. Interested to see it adapted in animation. Like these original looks really great. I like the style they're going with. And yeah, I mean, it looks very science story, but also it feels in line in the spirit of O'Malley's art. So yeah, I... I'm really interested and excited about this. You know, we had an animated short for Scott Pilgrim back in the day when the film came out. And that always made me want to see like, ah, I wish they had uh, really produced this into a long running anime series. And now it's finally happening. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. That poster that they just released recently looks really good. And man, I can't like if if the show's going to look like that. Yeah, I will definitely be watching all of that. Now, back on popularity of anime, North America and globally, Mama Rosota's latest film, Bell, came out in theaters recently, and it's done quite well for itself. It had a $2 million opening weekend, which blew past Mirai's box office gross, which was $812,000, and Mirai had been, like, the highest grossing Rosota film before, so that's quite impressive. And it's currently gone on to gross about $3 million, so, you know, it's not, like, a runaway hit on the same level as a Mugen train, but it's doing pretty well, doing popular, and it is getting like kind of you know mainstream critical press and attention which is nice to see and it has like a long tail theatrical release which i appreciate like at the time of recording i could still very easily go to my local theater five minutes away and watch the film again <laughs> oh wow which i'm happy about i hope it stays in theaters just a little bit longer and more people get a chance to see it this was a really great film and it's nice to see that it was like Hosoda is highest grossing in Japan. Now it's its highest grossing in North America. That's very cool. And that's not the only cool anime theatrical screening in North American news to talk about. Because a big title, potentially the next big anime box office hit for North America, is coming in March. Yeah, so Crunchyroll recently announced that uh, they have plans to be bringing out Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, which will be coming out in theaters in the United States and Canada on March 18th, uh, with tickets going on sale on February 25th. And uh, the movie's going to be coming to theaters in both Japanese with English subtitles 
and dubbed into English, which is going to be pretty cool. The movie's going to be screening in over 1,500 theaters nationwide and will even be in some uh, select IMAX theaters in the U.S., so that's really cool. I, I can't think of too many other anime films that have gotten that treatment in particular. I, I mean, I think Mugen Train had IMAX screenings, didn't it? Or am I remembering that wrong? Yeah, no, Mooka Train had IMAX screenings, Bell had IMAX screenings. Like, okay, IMAX okay. screenings are becoming like kind of a more of a regular thing for a lot of anime films now, which is nice to see. Mm, okay, okay. No, yeah. I mean, look, I, I think it was only a matter of time before, you know, somebody brought this out to theaters, you know? Like, we, we were waiting for it, we've been wanting it, and it's coming, and man... Oh boy, you know, I just recently got my booster, so like, I'm hoping things will be a little better by then, so that way I feel comfortable going to theaters, because man, I really want to see this movie. Yeah, I am very excited to see the film, you know, I, of course, am a huge fan of the manga. The trailers are excellent, like, the animation looks like it's off the chain, like, the show already was fantastically animated, but, you know, they just... <laughs> took it even a step further it looks like and it's a great story so i'm like super excited to watch it and yeah it's nice to see country all get back into distributing films theatrically again as part of their movie night series like the last one was of course in late 2019 and it's like crazy thing oh man it has been two years over two years since they've like been able to do one of these so yeah no i mean this is a great film to do it wit and i am excited i'm glad that they're going to give it a wide release and i am curious to see how well it does i don't expect a mugen train level of box office but potentially it could do still very well for itself mm-hmm. with how many theaters is being released and and how popular Jujutsu Kaisen as a series is. And it's not going to be competing against too much, I think, because Batman will have come out two weeks prior. So maybe, hopefully, demand will die down for that a little bit. I don't think there's going to be like too much competing on that same opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's my prediction. Um at least $20 million gross the whole time it's in theaters. I'll even go that high. I think this has potential to do really, really well, but I do agree. I don't know if it'll do like Mugen Train well. Yeah, I would like to see that. I don't know if it will get there, but Jujutsu Kaisen is an incredibly popular series, so potentially it could. I mean, $20 million-ish, like, Demon Slayer got that in opening weekend, which was insane and incredible. Oh, yeah. I don't know if Jujutsu Kaisen could do that in its opening weekend, but potentially, you know, in its entire run, like you're saying, yeah, potentially that could happen. Yeah. Well, I guess like, uh, let's see. Yeah, I don't think there's anything super big that would compete with Jujutsu Kaisen on the 18th. Because there's some horror film that's happening from A24, but A24 usually has a niche audience. And then, yeah, I think, like, Jujutsu Kaisen, as far as, like, a mainstream, like, crowd-pleasing, like, event film, I think that could probably be, like, the bigger draw that weekend. So, yeah, I, I think it could do quite well for itself. Especially with Turning Red not coming out in theaters anymore. Uh, and But, yeah, Batman would be, like, the biggest recent competition for it, that opening weekend. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, again, maybe that might be generous because, like, this is not, like, a Demon Slayer-level success, you know, not as far as Japan. No, I mean, in Japan, the box office probably will get over a hundred million... Uh, but I don't think that, you know, it'll... But that's such a far cry from Demon Slayer's Japanese gross. Yeah. 
you know? So if that holds true for like the American box office, you know, if, we, if it only it gets less than a third of what Demon Slayer did, you know, then we might say, oh, it got like 50 million. I guess, yeah, I think we could say maybe it'll get comparable to how the MHA films have done, which is like World Heroes Mission got like 13 million and Heroes Rising before that got like 15 million. So maybe you're around that ballpark might be the most realistic for the entire gross. But, you know, again, it's a big film. People are very excited about it. We'll see how well it does. Obviously, because especially since it is based on canon material, it is not exactly like, oh, it's the next arc of the story, like Mugen Train, but it is like, oh, this is a part of the story that is like relevant to the series. That is like, it's a prequel, but it's also very important in terms of like the grand scheme of the story. So you should check it out if you're a fan. So yeah, we'll see if that motivates people. For sure. What I do know for sure is that uh, we will probably start seeing Jujutsu Kaisen Volume Zero on the book scan list and probably the New York Times list for at least a few months after this movie's out, I'm sure. And maybe maybe in preparation, too, like we did uh, this month. And as far as other movie news, just on the Japanese side, something I'm looking forward to is a live-action film adaptation of My Broken Barco by Wakaharako. This was a very compelling series manga that I, you know, read when it came out. It was, you know... It's a pretty tough read, but it's really good. I think it will work well in live action, just this story. It's just the right length for it, I think, to be expanded upon into a a feature-length film. So, yeah. Uh, And I'd like to see, you know, it be made available to watch localized at some point. Uh, Maybe, at the very least, I hope I get the opportunity to watch it, like, on a flight or something at some point in the future. Because, yeah, I would love to see how this turns out. And I think the lead actress that is cast as the protagonist, you know, it seems like she can capture the spirit of the character well. So yeah, definitely look forward to that. And now to talk about some anime that we'll be looking forward to. Yeah, so this was a, a pretty big one that I know got a lot of people excited. Um, we talked about Mizukami earlier in the show, what with the Planet With manga coming to an end soon. And uh, yeah, it looks like another one of Mizukami's works that is probably his most well-known one. I would say, or at least is probably the one I see the most excitement for usually whenever it's brought up, is Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer, Hoshino Samidare itself. That'll be getting a TV anime coming this summer, and uh, Mizukami basically confirmed himself that the anime is going to be covering the entire manga. Uh, which is really, really cool. And yeah, uh, I also think Sakaki in particular will be excited because uh, the anime is being directed by Nobuaki Nakanishi, who was the director for such series as the original uh, Mahojin Guruguru anime that came out before the new one that came eventually, and also the Bakugaiden anime that I know he's a huge fan of. So um, I'm happy for him on that front. And um, yeah, I mean, look, Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer is definitely a series that, um, man, it's been such a long time since I've read it. I definitely haven't read this series in like over a decade. I read this like when I was in high school and uh, I remember like really, really loving it. And I my memories of it are a little fuzzy, but I do remember like really loving the series. So hopefully, I mean, maybe the anime will be a good way to kind of revisit it. I'm really hoping that maybe Seven Seas will look into maybe reprinting the manga in time for the anime to come back. I don't know. That would be cool because uh, be nice. it's pretty out of print right now. And I'm I'm really kicking myself for missing the opportunity to collect it because the digital version that's up online from another company is not super great, and I kind of wish we had Seven Seas versions available right now. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, no, but th- this is this is cool, though. I don't... It's so cool, like, when, when a beloved manga gets, like, an anime, like, literally a decade after 
uh, you know, its run or whatever. But like, yeah, I, I don't think anybody was expecting this. Like, this is a big surprise, though. I will admit I've also seen some people kind of worried that, like, because this is being announced, like, so soon before it's run that, like, I think people are kind of a little worried about the production side of things and, like, what the show is actually going to look like. But I'm going to hold on to my optimism. I'm going to be, op like, cautiously optimistic and say that hopefully this anime will be good and it won't be one of those things where it's like, oh, well, clearly anime companies know that, like, you know, fans want anime series that cover the entirety of the manga but they only do it in like, you know, such little time or like only within like 24, 12 episodes, depending on like how long a thing is like, man. And I mean, you know, I know the, the manga in particular is not really like that long, but also like a part of me is afraid that like this could end up being like another Hoshin Engi where it's like, oh, we're just going to do we're going to do this over a 100 chapter series in like 20 something episodes. And it just clearly did not work. So there's that, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, Hoshi Engi was like 23 episodes and literally 23 episodes. It's like one volume an episode. It, it didn't work. Like, they rushed through their content even faster in the early episodes, but like, man, it, that was just disastrous. Like, why even bother at that point? <laughs> yeah. I would hope with Lucifer and the Mystic Hammer, with it being a 10-volume series, it does get at least two cores. I think that's a decent amount of time to do the entire series. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully that'll be the case. And hopefully, like, I have seen a lot of the skepticism and cynicism of like, oh, this is meant to pander to Western fans. Because they know this is a series that Western fans, international fans really like. And that's why it's getting adapted now. Uh, because, like, the manga anime industry is, like, just super... Uh, hungry for IP to get adapted and distributed for the global market or something. But I think, you know, there's good talent behind this. Uh, there's good studio behind this. I think we could be in for a really nice show. I think so too, yeah. So I hope that, yeah, I, I think it will turn out. I'm not super worried. I mean, it's not like this has been announced for the right the next season. It's announced for the summer season. So I am hoping that production has been going for this for a while. And yeah, by the time it comes out, like they have had enough time to make the show look as good as it deserves to be. In general, Mitsukami's versus stuff I've been wanting to check out more of. I have not read Miskinary yet. I've heard so many great things about it over the years, so I'm definitely keen to check it out finally and then watch the anime adaptation. So mm -hmm. yeah, very excited. Definitely going to be checking this out. And in addition, another anime I'm looking forward to is a new show from Mamoru Oshii that is adapting a recent light novel novel series from Rieko Hinata and Akihiro Yamada called Firecatcher Lord. And it is going to be directed by Junji Nishimura, who directed a lot of classic 90s series like Ranma Half and You're Under Arrest, but also Oshi's latest written project, Vlad Love. So Nishimura and Oshi are reuniting together on Vlad Love to work on this series. And it sounds like an interesting premise. It's a story set in a post-decoplative world where humanity has lost the ability to like create fire themselves otherwise they'll spontaneously burst into flame so instead they have to harvest fire from the bodies of creatures called flamelings and the duty to hunt these flamelings are fire catchers who like wield sickles and break the depths of a great forest and they whisper tales of a legend of a fire catcher lord who will be able to harvest the fire of a thousand year comet a wandering spark that has flowed in the sky since it was set up before the last world and is now returned to earth 
And the protagonist comes from a paper-making town who gets lost in the Forbidden Forest and gets attacked by flamelings and is protected by a fire catcher. And simultaneously, the deuteragonist is a young boy who is protecting his younger sister after losing their mother to factory poisons. So, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely curious about this because the designs, the illustrations designs was from the person who drew the illustrations for Twelve Kingdoms and Rasafon Akira Yamata. So the base illustration aesthetic looks really cool and intriguing. The writer seems really interesting. And of course, having Oshi overseeing and writing the scripts for this and having Nishimura directing is a really cool combo. And I still need to check out more of Lad Love, but I heard so many great things about it, especially from Oshi fans. So yeah, like I, as an Oshi fan, like as someone interested in more anime projects from him, I'm super, super excited for this new adaptation from him, this new series from him. So yeah. Looking forward to seeing this come out. But that about does it for our interest pieces and our coverage of all this latest, like, anime and film news. And we're going to wrap up our news coverage by discussing popularity polls. And there have been a lot of popularity polls that have been happening recently that we kind of have been pushing off covering just because episodes have been going on a little long. We just haven't had Uh the time to devote to them. But... We have a lot from Shonen Jump. We have at least four polls from Jump that we need to talk about. And in addition, there's another one currently underway. There's the Mashal character popularity poll that is currently going on. And it's open until February 23rd. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely excited to see what the like results of this look like. Uh, I don't know if you voted in a poll yet, but uh, I just voted for Mash. I just went with the easy choice because like as much as I like Mashal, I don't know. I like I like Mash, but like Mashal is one of those things where it's like I like the main character way more than I do like a lot of the cast. Not that the other characters aren't good or whatever, but like if I had to really pick in a popularity poll, like I know it's an easy choice, but I, I just kind of went with Mash. Yeah, I think Finn Dot and Lance, they have their moments when Mash is really like the star of the show and like the most interesting character for sure. I have not actually voted yet. I think I'll give Marguerite a vote because I do appreciate her character. I like that, you know, the series has like kind of a, a trans character that there isn't like a jokes at her expense and she's just kind of cool and okay. she fight. And she had a good fight for Mash, so I like that a lot. And yeah, I'll get Ultra and I like um Abyss Razor because his name and it also had a compelling story to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're like some fun, memorable secondary characters in Mashal that is worth voting for. At the very least, there are characters that might deserve votes just for their names alone. No, yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. I agree. But yeah, very much looking forward to seeing uh, how the results of this pan out. Though I will be surprised if Mash doesn't just take away number one because I do think he is like the most compelling and interesting character in the show. In the series. It would be funny if, like, Finn was, like, the number one character or something. Yeah, I feel like there was some kind of mean campaign to make Finn <laughs> the number one. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, it has happened, even recently, that the main character does not win number one in the character popularity poll. Uh-huh. As we'll discuss with the first of these polls we're going to cover, which is the Magu-chan character popularity poll. Which, would you believe, Magu was not number one. Well, I guess we'll just spoil the surprise. <laughs> well, no, no, let's let's go up number 10 to number one. Uh, you know, let's build up to the big winner here. So at number 10, we have Muscar, the fourth pillar, the de facto antagonist for most of the series. Now turned ally, sort of. And, you know, he got about 17,059 votes. 
Then we got Izuma. He comes in with 1790 votes. And then we got Ren, who came in with about 2,210 votes. And I like that Kamiki had this comment of like, wow, he ranked in the top 10, congrats. We're <laughs> uh, also mentioning that like, in addition to the popular part, like Majin Chan is like this big, you know, fan base. So someone went through the effort of like translating and transcribing the entire popularity poll and the comments from Kamiki and the other characters on the results of the poll. And we'll include that in the show notes because it is a impressive effort from these fine folks, these Magu fans who are just so passionate about the series that they'll go through the effort of like providing this uh, translation. And I'll give credit to Oh, I had written down who made this. Ah, Kirbymon, of course. Kirbymon, yeah, was the guy who, like, made this. So, yeah, he's a guy, if you're on the WMR Discord, he's, like, the biggest Magu fan that I think I know. Uh, Super passionate about the series. And, yeah, like, made this great doc. So, yeah, Mm, check it out. But, uh, yeah, no, going up, uh, number seven, we have BS, Magu's Blood So Pitch Dark Hound. (laughs) He earned 2,514 votes. And uh, I like Kamiki's comment that, oh, it worked out well. He made an appearance in the poem period. (laughs) Because <laughs> he hadn't appeared for a while, but he did appear just when the poll came up. Uh, then we got Sansuke, the ever, like, you know, apologetic, fearful minor god. And he got 2,637 votes. And I like how he commented, oh, he's easy to draw. <laughs> he's first place in terms of being easy to draw. And then going to the top five, fifth place is Naputaku's Hermitcraft, his frenzied troops. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, apparently there are, according to Kamiki, there are many individual hero crafts that appear many times in the series. Then at fourth place, we get like the first of our really top tier gods here is Neris, who, you know, she's the four pillars, so it, it's fitting that she came in fourth place. Hmm. Then at number three, with 6,380 votes, it's Ruru. And she, of course, was the highest voted human character by a large margin. And yeah, as mentioned before, Magu did not win number one. He comes here at number two with 14,960 votes, which is, you know, more than double Ruru's votes, which is impressive. Like, he clearly is a popular character to have more than double the number three. But no, he was not number one because number one is the actual best boy, the actual best character in the series, Naputaku. <laughs> God of Madness, second pillar, he comes in at 19,362 votes. And yeah, like, I like Kamiki mentions that, oh, he, during the polling period, like, he had the big moment with the frenzy roar against the scar, which made everyone fall in love with him. But I loved him even before that. Naputaku is the best <laughs> character. He's the funniest consistently very glad to see he won first place in the poll i do like that even kamiki's like wait seriously huh what yeah <laughs> like he was disappointed that oh i wanted the main character to win so i voted for him for a few times in secret but i didn't do a good enough job darn you naputaku yeah oh man now i guess we have to make naputaku plushies yeah forget magu-chan we gotta end magu-chan and make the naputaku show <laughs> You know, I'd be weirdly okay with that. Yeah, me too. But uh, no, it's a very fun poll. I'm glad to see Naputaku win. It's always interesting and fun when like a character who isn't the main character wins the polls. Uh, another in- other interesting placements in terms of characters that I found fun were the shark that is Naputaku's minion to his chagrin is at 15th place. Neris's pigeon was at 16th place. The copy Magu-chan Mascar created is 17th place. And yeah, Noshu Koshu, who was 
like a write-in for the poll because she like debuted after the poll opened and ended up coming in 19th place. So which is pretty impressive as a character who really doesn't do much besides like sleep and burn other people to sleep. And hey, Kei Kamiki, 20th place. Yeah, they yeah, did very well. <laughs> I like how he had a comment from Magu saying, who the heck are you? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Apparently, like, <laughs> Rur's mom's souvenir was 24th place as well, so it was a funny one. <laughs> They're just like items. There are items that are <laughs> ranked, but <laughs> in the top thirty. Uh, the convenience store worker. I'm pretty sure the one from who the like second chapter that <laughs> noticed Magu and it's like stretched out for. He's 29th place. Yeah, that that's still probably like one of the funniest moments in the series, actually. Yeah. So that's a great poll. There's even more detail, more like listings that you can check out in the like translation of the full popularity poll we'll leave in the shout outs but yeah 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 no it was a fun poll and it's nice to see that Maku got to have a chance to have a character popularity poll because unfortunately word on the street is Magu might not have much time left it hasn't ended yet at the time of this recording but the end apparently is coming sooner than later for the series especially with the conclusion of the latest chapter of the time of this recording so sadly we might see it leave us in short future which is a shame but it was a very enjoyable series and i think it gave us a lot of laughs and cries and all around good vibes so it's had a pretty good run so far no really i mean it'll end i think around its 80th chapter so i think that's pretty good it was about it ran about a year and a half which you know longer than a lot of series and jumps so i it did quite well i think for itself longer than uh mitama's security yeah yeah and it'll be interesting to see like what else that came out from around its time will continue on forward which i guess is at this point Ayakashi debuted in the same round and Robico. So, I mean, half of that round is gone and those two are still going. And I think those two are safe. I don't see them going anywhere. So we'll see, though. We'll also see, like, what else might end with Magu or Magu just ends by itself. Because if there is a new round of series coming and Magu is one of the series that's ending, I don't know what else will end because ppp had like kind of a sudden late burst and like pushing it and, and promotion and stuff and then like other series i don't really see like them wrapping up like there's been no super signs like they're they're i saw some people say that like dr stone might end but i also don't know how soon we are yeah uh, it's just too soon for stone that's the only thing some people like there are other series that you could say oh well this could wrap up anytime and it might go like roboco or high school family high school family i could see it only because like yeah the current storyline of like ichiro in the volleyball tournament feels like okay you could build to a climax through this but at the same time high school family is like they they putting it in higher ranks in the toc you know like jump editorial really loves the series and the author's work so i don't know if they are itching to end it uh, so yeah, I just, it's going to be curious to see what ends up happening, but I don't think it'll be PvP because like there've been, again, there's been last minute like push for it and like there's apparently like a good news supposed to be coming for it or something. So I don't know. It's getting an ant. No, it's not. It's not getting no. an anime that soon. <laughs> That'd be really wild if, if PPPPPP, that's a fun name to say. Uh, it'd be really wild if like, if it actually ran long enough to get an anime. You know, I'm pulling for it. 
because it's it's really compelling recently. So you know, we'll see, we'll see if it lasts. Mm-hmm. Um, we should probably get on to our next popularity poll, though. And if if is it okay if I take over this one? Sure. All right. So the next poll we're going to be talking about is the seventh My Hero Academia popularity poll. And uh, just like with the last one, we're going to go from the bottom to top. Uh, Starting with number 10, we have uh, Shinzo, which is pretty cool. You know, he's been in the series here and there every once in a while. And I'm pretty sure Horikoshi has mentioned that he might have a big part to play along with a few other characters later. So he certainly appeared in a recent chapter. So I feel like uh, we're building finally to some payoff. No, for sure. Um, Next up at number nine is Rhodey Soul from the My Hero Academia World Heroes Mission movie, which is really, really cool. Um, It's, you know, like we talked about the movie on like the My Hero Academia podcast before. And, you know, the, the, the movie was like fun and everything. Not like the best My Hero Academia movie, but it's still it was still mostly good. But, like, Rhodey's soul is, like, probably one of the best parts of that movie. So I, I think he he deserves a spot on this list. Mm-hmm. But then next up, we have Present Mike at number eight. Present Mike, you know, I, I've liked him for a long time. But, like, you know, I think uh, I think it was around the point in the sort of war arc we had uh, kind of earlier on, a couple years back, was when he punched the doctor. I think that was uh, one of my favorite moments with him recently. And he, he's had a lot of really good stuff with Aizawa in particular. So I think he deserves to be in the top 10. And then at number seven, we have his partner in crime, Aizawa, at number seven. I'm really glad that Aizawa's in the top 10 as well, because he's honestly, like, one of my favorite characters, for sure. Uh, at number six, we have Ida. Ida's a good boy. He deserves to be in the top 10 as well. Yeah, I feel like he made a comeback from the last poll, if I recall. So it's nice to see uh, him rise in prominence in the popularity poll. He's also had at least one good moment over the past year with Deku in particular, you know, with the callback to the Stain arc. So I, I think that definitely makes him deserving of a place on this poll alone, honestly. Um, uh, next up, we have Hawks at number five, who, you know, he's easily like one of the most popular characters in the series at this point. So I'm not really that surprised at his placement, along with Kirishima at number four, which I really feel like ever since the the overhaul arc, I, I feel like he's been pretty like consistently in the top five ever since, if I remember correctly. Yes, I think so. Uh, and then the top three really isn't that different at all. No. At number three, we have Todoroki with just so close to 8,000 votes, literally 7,999 votes. He's <laughs> so close. Uh, and then at number two, we have Deku with over 10,000 votes, along with Bakugo with over 13,000 votes, closer to 14,000. And yeah, I mean... Maybe he's had the first place before and I just don't remember, but I would really like to see Deku take place from Bakugo at least once before the series ends, you know? But that's just me. Yeah, we'll see. Oh, I was wrong before. Like, he has consistently been a popular character. In fact, he is down two places from the last fall. He's still in the top 10, though. Yeah, no, he's still in the top 10, like, easily. So, yeah, I, I think the people in the poll make a lot of sense. I think the biggest wild card is definitely Rhodey, but it seems like last people have had, like, this one outlier, huh? That's interesting. But it makes more sense for Rhodey to rank in the top 10 than Yoshindo when he ranked in the previous call. So. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. <laughs> uh, speaking of him, he's number 17. Yeah, so still popular enough to be in the top 20 to rank above Shigaraki. I, look, I'm not saying he's a bad character, but I mean, like, I'm still really surprised he's as popular as he He has to have like a, like a fan club or something that's sending in all these votes. That or like it's a meme. 
it's like a meme Maybe. in the fandom that are like pushing him to get votes. I know for sure, like for some series with like ensemble casts and everything, I know there are just like fan clubs for particular characters who will just send in like tons and tons of votes just to make sure their character places high enough on the popularity poll or whatever. I know that kind of thing happens, but you also could be right. It could also be a meme. You never know. I'm, you know, I'm still kind of, I'm, I'm still sad that like All Might's been knocked out of the top 10 for a while, but he's, he's close enough. He's number 13. Yeah. Uh, it is a shame because All Might, you know, I feel like he did have a lot of great character stuff last year, but uh, at least he is a place higher from the previous poll. Also, I think, I don't know if this is right, but 37, I think Deku's Freckles? Our number 37? I think that's what's being placed here. I, it's not really translated, unfortunately, but like, I don't know, that's just really weird. Yeah, 37 was that ghost freckles. <laughs> this is another one of those mean <laughs> votes, but it's impressive that 203 people <laughs> voted for that ghost freckles. That ghost freckles got more votes than twice, though. Which is... <laughs> and got more votes than Horikoshi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a crime. That's, that's, I don't accept that. Yeah. No. At least Mirko got more votes than Deku's Freckles. But just barely? Like, by 40 votes? And still, like, Mirko isn't even in the top 30, which is, like, that is a crime. I mean, she didn't do much of anything last year, but still, that's a real shame. I kind of thought she'd be more popular, though. Yeah, I mean, I guess the MHA fandom in Japan isn't as into the hot, badass ladies as the Western fandom is, because Nagant only came at number 27. Mm. I guess top 30 is still good, but still, I mean, I am kind of surprised she's not like maybe just a little higher. Yeah. I guess, is there anything else you want to point out with this poll or should we move on to the next one? I think overall, the, again, the results are fairly in line with what I would have thought. But yeah, I think it's fairly good placements for these characters. Mm -hmm. You know, actually here, do you want to do this next poll? Because I got to be honest, I feel like without a translation, I'm going to forget some of these characters names because I'm so bad at remembering names. Yeah, I can do it, because at, at the very least, I remember the family's names. So, yeah, I could do that. So, yeah, we got a Yozakura, Mission Yozakura character popularity poll. Yes. And indeed, like, the pretty much basically, and thankfully, like, all the members of the Yozakura family did end up ranking in the top 10 of this popularity poll, which is nice to see. It would be funny if one of them just wasn't in the top 10, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, just barely, just barely making it at a number 10 was Nanao, the youngest Yozakura sibling, at about 586 votes. And there was a really great chapter recently with Nanao, like trying to administer shots to everyone. And that ended up having a sweet ending between him and Kyojiro, which ended with Kyojiro being his test subject for like a new wonder drug. So, but yeah, Nanao is a fine character, you know. It's a great gimmick of like normally having this hulking form with the bucket head, but then, you know, his real persona is like, you know, he's a young kid. And speaking of young kids, we have I, Taiyomitsumi's adopted daughter, puppy daughter, at Singchun 34 votes, who is also the subject of some really compelling chapters, like uh, the recent chapter where she <laughs> went out <laughs> to go hunting by herself, which was another cute one in Taiyomitsumi, just like watched it all away. Then we got the main guy in the Hinagiku at number eight with 765 votes. This character... He hasn't been around that much He lately. was involved in the raid uh, of the Tanpopo. But like since then, I don't 
remember him showing up or having much presence. And yeah, like I remember like his introduction of um, like he he did to kind of like motivate Tile of being like, oh, this is kind of like a skill level I should aspire to in terms of being a spy. But I admit like in terms of personality, he's like not the most interesting. Like this big moment in even that previous arc was him stepping in to help Nanao in the fight against Ice Fodder. So yeah, uh, unfortunately, it's not... A character. He, I guess he's among the more prominent characters, but he's not a character that sticks in my mind a whole lot. I really feel like ever since his first introduction, like, I feel like he really hasn't, he hasn't really been that relevant, honestly. Like, I kind of, I kind of thought he would play like a bigger role, like as kind of like maybe Tayo's rival or something maybe down the line, but no, not really. Yeah, I mean, there's not too much to his character, really. He's just kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> Sui Aoi is his name. And like, there are other characters in the series who I can more readily remember their names and find them more interesting, you know? So, For sure, yeah. Eh. He, he's in the top 10 because he's hot. He's, he's attractive enough. He's badass enough, you know, it works out for him, but... No, for sure. You know, I would have uh, rather seen Goliath the dog in his spot, to be honest. Honestly, yeah. To say nothing of, like, Sabomi, other members, like the grandpa and grandma in the family. Oh, man, uh, yeah. the anta- Like the antagonists themselves, like Kawashita, you know. They're more interesting characters than this guy, I think. But anyway, at number seven, we've got Mutsumi with 1,265 votes. You know, Mutsubi, I always find to be a very likable character with a great relationship with Tayo. And right above her is Kyochiro with 13,062 votes, who I think, especially compared to the earlier chapters, has grown into a character I really appreciate and like a lot more now. I think he has a good dynamic with Tayo and the other siblings. And, you know, his personality has been used, like, in more fun ways than just the obsessive, like, sister soccer he used to be, you know, or, or he was more commonly or more emphasized before. Even though that's still there in his personality, but now they've like kind of fleshed out and deepened his thing, his identity a bit more. Yeah, I feel like out of all those like characters, the the, the Siscon characters, I guess, like he is the best of them because there's no perverted streak. There's never been a moment where it's like he got a nosebleed over Mutsubi. He is just very obsessively. He's very doting at the very least. Yeah, which is like okay. Uh, to me anyway like i honestly i've always liked kirichiro from like the very beginning i always thought like he he's cool like his powers are really cool and like oh, scary yeah, his powers are great yeah I, I i think he had a really good first showing like from the very beginning so i've always kind of liked him and i have a list like futaba who comes in at number five with 15,000 yeah. or two votes and she had like probably one of my favorite fights in the tampopo arc so yeah oh yeah, yeah consistently she's a fun character it's like one of the stronger members but also she has kind of her like frady cat side mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to like spooky things so yeah and then at number four coming in with 18 18 votes is shinzo the resident weapons master of the family and that whole that whole gimmick of him like being the trash can for a long time it's kind of been dropped sadly but you know he's had some cool moments especially in like the exam arc where he the first exam with Ayo. I think I voted for Shinzo in the poll, actually, if I remember correctly. I'm I'm a sucker for older brother characters. I just, I can't help it. I mean, he is a fun character. 
Yeah, his fight in the Tampa War was also super good. That's another one of the highlights. But yeah, no, I mean, the character I would have for is coming up. But before that, we've got our main character. Speaking of main characters who didn't get number one in their own character popularity polls for their series, it is Tayo. He comes in at number three with 2,068 votes. But Tayo, I think, is a good protagonist, but not the favorite of the series. No, there are two siblings in the Ozuka family that people like even more. Which includes our number two, Kengo, with 2,287 votes. The resident master disguise. Kengo had that, um, I I brought it up in our uh, Best of Manga episode. He had that chapter that ended with uh, that heart-to-heart talk with uh, Futaba, which uh, that's that's been like my favorite moment of his so far. Yeah, I would agree. That was a really good moment. I feel like every member of the family got a really great fight in that Temple War, because the more I think about oh, it, yeah. like his fight with the Ice Guy, that was super good. No, but yeah, the the number one character, the character that at least I remember waiting for, I, rem- I remember people called who was going to win the popularity poll. Everyone was saying, oh, this character is the one who's going to win, like even before the poll came out. And that's Xion, who won the poll with 2,455 votes. I mean, she she's a she's a gamer girl, like who wasn't gonna vote yeah, for her? It's a great combination of like a fun personality, a fun character design, and she gets a lot of spotlight chapters, especially recently, which I think probably is attributed to the poll. But yeah, no, uh, Xion is very cool, and it's nice to see yet another case of like a female secondary character winning the popularity poll for a series, like we knew well and Black Clover previously, and with the Chainsaw Man popularity poll with a uh, power in the first one so yeah nice to see no for sure yeah but i I think overall this poll is about like where i would expect most of the characters to be i mean i definitely wasn't expecting tayo to not be number one but i i think i think shion definitely deserves it the runners up in the you know top 30 also makes sense it's kind of interesting to see the floor for the poll was like just 40 votes at number 30 but, like, yeah, no. I mean, you got pretty much all the, like, major characters making it in a poll. I like that, that like, the snowman <laughs> made number 23, which ranking you harder than Miski, eyes, like, adopt the fodder at number 25, which is surprising. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of the characters we just mentioned, ah, I wonder why they didn't make it in the top 10. Yeah, they just missed the cut. Like, Goliath was number 11, the dog. Their maid was number 12. Mom, the grandpa, was number 13 and stuff like that. So, yeah. I think Yuzukura family has like a really strong main cast and some really good secondary characters. So yeah, it keeps the series very fun and enjoyable to read. I was kind of hoping some of the characters, the some of the fan submissions from that one chapter would play somewhere in the poll. Yeah, I don't think I see... Oh, uh, I think, yeah, the American one, right? That she's number 16. Oh, uh, oh, wait. Okay, yeah, I, I see her. I see her. Yeah, the busty American girl one was number sixteen. <laughs> well, I was kind of hoping for the stick figure guy to come. Where, where's he? I, you know, actually, no. Hold on. Maybe I voted for the stick figure guy. Actually, now I don't remember. It's been a while since I voted in the poll. It was either Shinzo or him. No, actually, I'm so I'm I'm, I'm totally thinking aloud while we're recording i feel like if i go back in the podcast i do i do say who i voted for because now 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 the conversation's like coming back to me (laughs) i guess i'll have to look it up what's the snowman from that chapter with all the fan submitted characters maybe i don't really remember unfortunately i'm looking through it right now I don't see it. Oh, by the way, the the American girl at number 16 is literally named Crazy Girl. 
<laughs> uh, acknowledge her name. Very descriptive. Like she just that's <laughs> like a machine gun. You couldn't. You couldn't even. You couldn't even call her like American girl. Like crazy American girl. I mean, of all the fan characters that were created for this, like she had kind of like the biggest space devoted to her because she got the sub. She was the subject of a big panel to show off like her shooting a machine gun or whatever. Man, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> now, the snowman was not from this chapter, but yeah. No, uh, it's clearly, yeah, crazy girl, breakout character, more popular than other characters. The main <laughs> villains of the series, she's more popular than either Kashida or Sabomi. But just a couple points, but still, she won out, which is funny. That's pretty funny. Um, we should probably move on to our last poll, though. Yeah, and so the last jump character popularity poll we need to talk about is the second Jujutsu Kaisen character popularity poll, which will go from bottom top in terms of the poll results from number 10 to number 1. And starting off, we have... Okay, this one actually made me upset when I saw this, and that's Nayoya Zenin, the sexist creep who wanted to, you know, become the new leader of the Zenin family after the death of Nabito. He comes in at 2,935 votes, beating out Maki at number 12. Oh man. Who only got 2,038 votes, and that upsets me. It upsets me that Nayoya get more votes than Maki. Maki deserved more love. <sighs> He even beat out Nabara at number 11. There are, like, no women in the top 10 of Jujutsu Kaisen's popularity <laughs> poll. Which, you know, I know Jujutsu Kaisen is also very popular with women in particular. So, like, they vote for, like, the attractive male characters, a lot of them. But still, Syria has a lot of badass female characters, too. And Maki had some of the biggest moments. The most badass moments in the series last year when she slaughtered the entire Zeni family. So it's like, ugh. I, I, I'm really upset that she went out against Nayoya in particular. That's a shame, yeah. Mm-hmm. But alas, like moving on to number nine, we have Toji Senen. We have Fushigoro's dad. He comes in at 2,334 votes. We have Akotsu coming in at number eight. You know, he had a big resurgence in the series last year. Now, Tag's actually appearing in the main story. Though, interesting enough, he's a slot down from in the first popularity poll, despite actually appearing in the story, uh, in the main story this time. But yeah, he got 3,976 votes. So, I mean, it was a big year for Okotsu with him appearing in the main story and also being the subject of the movie. I would be really shocked if, like, if he wasn't higher in the po- in the next popularity poll, honestly. Mm-hmm. At number seven, we have Chozo, like Itadori's, like kind of brother in arms, the reigning surviving of the cursed womb spirits. He comes in at four thousand seven hundred fifty-seven votes. At number six, we have Unumaki. He came in with five thousand and fifty-two votes. Unumaki, very popular from UK, and also a character who has not. Really been in the series a whole lot last year. And also, he has half the votes that he did previously, though, which is interesting. But at number five, we got Nanami. Nanami's still very popular, which is good to see. And he had 5,548 votes. Now at number four, we have... And I, I don't know if they're distinguishing between his different personas here. But we have Ghetto at number four with 10,345 votes. And I like how he drew Ghetto like the largest out of any character. More than even the top three characters. <laughs> That's funny from Akutami. Like he, he really is showing his favoritism there. But uh, again, speaking of like polls in which the main character doesn't win number one. At number three, Itadori got three thirteen thousand. 
2,265 votes. At number two, we had Gojo get 14,359 votes. Gojo, you know, I, you feel like or you think that, oh, it's Gojo. It feels like the breakout popular character. But no. It turns out, and it's really been the case, that the most popular character in Jujutsu Kaisen is, of course, Megumi, who claimed the number one spot with 90,393 votes. Mm. Yeah, I kind of I kind of thought Gojo would be number one, but I guess it makes sense for Megumi to be number one. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not too surprised at that. Mm-hmm. And Megumi had a lot of great moments last year, and especially recently he had some great moments in his recent fights. So, yeah, Megumi's done some good stuff. And Gojo, you know, despite not... Technically being that active has done, has did quite well for himself in the poll as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I, I, I'm, I'm not super caught up on Jujutsu Kaisen, so I, I can't really comment too much on the poll. But um, as far as where I'm at, which is the end of season one, uh, n- n- none of these placements like really surprise or shock me too, too much. But that's just me. Yeah. For at least the characters you're familiar with, and I'm sure you're intrigued at like why uh, these other characters are so popular. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like other placements that are interesting is that uh, you know Toto did not make the top ten, but he came in at number fourteen. Sukuna was number thirteen. Uchihime is pretty popular for a character who I don't think really did that much last year, but she came in number fifteen. Mahito squeaked in at number nineteen, right above Junpei at twenty. Junpei. You know, still a lot of affection from the fans for him. And I'm sad Mai didn't rank higher considering stuff happened last year, but she came in at number 23. And uh, I am kind of happy to see Jogo, even though Jogo wasn't really in the story last year, coming in at number 22, because it's always been fond of him. And Akutami themselves came in at number 21. <laughs> Panda at number 18. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, Panda had uh, some big moments, of a big chapter in particular last year, so good to see him get a spotlight. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, and then the Kyoto, other Kyoto High students that did well were, you know, just to mention everyone in the top 20. Miwa came in at number 17, and then Kamo came in at number 16. So, yeah, they also didn't have that, that much to do last year. I think Miwa had a kind of big moment at the end of the Shibuya incident. But, yeah, you know, they're still remain popular. So, I mean, of course, the anime and the battle between the schools happened last year. So that probably also buoyed the popularity of these characters, too. So we're going to wrap up the show as usual with community shoutouts. And I ended up having a lot build up over the past couple weeks since we've been able to do them. So I won't be able to mention all of them today because we've already run pretty long. But I wanted to mention some that I think are pretty relevant and timely. And one of them, as far as like stories we didn't talk about, but this is like a big ongoing conversation that's happening right now, is that there is a school in the McMinn County Board of Education in Tennessee that decided to remove Mouse from its curriculum over arguments that, you know, it had foul language and nudity in it, which is so negligible and so baffling considering like it's the, stupid yeah the content of the story is like an exploration of the horrors of the holocaust and the lingering intergenerational trauma of it and it's an own voices story from our speaker's perspective and like to remove that from the curriculum remove such a formative piece about the holocaust from a curriculum and designed to teach about it is incredibly irresponsible and i would suspect like some fouler intentions behind it 
honestly. But there's this piece that was railwritten from Jit here about Moss and how important an educational Moss is. That also goes into the arguments made by the board members and touches upon the specific things they criticize and they isolate as like the reasons they're taking off the curriculum and you know points criticism of like why those things like are necessarily important for you know readers to understand especially kids reading the story to appreciate and that the poems of like moral panic over oh there's nudity well the nudity in this comic you know it is not provocative it is all purposeful to show well this is the reality of what happened in the camps this is the horrible reality of the state that Spiegelman's mother was in when they found her when she committed suicide these are not graphic sexual scenes these are nudity as fact uh, the language is, you know, meant to reflect an emotion that is important to understand. The scene where Spiegelman is angry at his father for destroying all the papers, all the diaries of uh, her mother is pointed and purposeful. And so I think Jeet really does a good job of like critiquing all the, the claims, all the points that the school board raised as to why they wanted to take Moss off the curriculum and all the moral panic they raised about it. It really puts to rest that it is just like completely unjustified, uh, their arguments. And it is like, you know, an erasure of like historical reality, but trying to focus on media that sanitizes that history rather than shows that history as what it is and shows that no, there were, there's no narrative of hope or saviorism you can wring from this. This is a reality of just like a horrible thing, a horrible, traumatic thing that there's no easy recovery. There's no like message of hope necessary to be found in other than the fact that these characters survive but it's not supposed to be an inspirational tale and a lot of the materials that the school board is trying to replace mouse with are like those kind of narratives and it's a huge huge upset and disconnect to take away like a book that lays down the reality of the horrors of the holocaust like mouse does away from kids trying to learn about it and yeah, it shows the hypocrisy of like how a lot of these kind of, you know, conservative folks, you know, outcry about this idea of counterculture and how that's like obfuscates the fact, you know, this is actual censorship. This is actual stifling of kids' access to learning about things they need to learn about. So it's a, it's an, I think a great read that really relates to the case of like why it's such a terrible, awful decision they've made that hopefully won't become more of a trend in other school boards and districts. At the very least, the outcome of this is that Mouse has become an Amazon bestseller again. So oh, yeah. at least, you know, it's encouraging people to read Mouse, which is good. Now, another story I want to touch upon in terms of like a recent thing has to do with Suede, a YouTuber I mentioned before who does the Suede's Pokemon Journey series, which I really enjoy. And his channel was recently attacked by Showpro, who owns the copyright for Pokemon. Not only did he get copyright uh, notices, he got like a full-on like lawsuit he got like a full-on like they are suing him for like a, a paltry amount but in the effort to do that an effort to make like a legal case and by subverting youtube's own system of how they you know ghost about like processing copyright claims they've effectively managed to like handicap his channel they've managed to like block his channel like all his videos have been taken down 
he might still have the ability to upload new videos, but right now he's locked from even doing that. So he just outlined the entire case of what's happened on his Patreon and explaining like all the different circumstances, but it's a really kind of distressing precedent for the future of protecting fair use on YouTube, especially for anime manga creators, because we talked about the situation uh, with Totally Without Mark, who managed to get the situation in Tori Rizal thanks to YouTube context, but with Suede's case, you know, Chopro circumvented uh, YouTube. Like, they're going kind of beyond YouTube to pursue legal action here. It's like a scare tactic, but also it's been effective in terms of, like, because his videos are not geobox in Japan, like, he is subject to being legally troubled from their, you know, attacks. And it's not something that, like, a lot of YouTubers can fight against. Like, this can effectively, if it becomes, like, successful, other companies could follow suit and basically handicap the entire attitude space. There'd be, like, no true fair use productions, even through, like, the YouTube copyright system anymore. If companies can just, like, use, like, legal action against, like, the distribution of videos, like, globally by going through the Japanese courts and whatnot. So it's a big case to go into the legal alley of everything and what's going on with Swain. So he wrote, again, I'll refer you to his post and some tweets that also outline the situation, its ramifications on Anitube and the culture of content creation using on anime in particular. And yeah, like, it's distressing because if they find that, oh, by taking legal action and like sending the small claim to YouTube and like making YouTube like back off because they don't want to get their hands involved in any legal stuff or court cases stuff, like that puts the burden on the creator and forces the creator to go through the Japanese courts. And it's incredibly expensive and impossible to do without representation that's incredibly expensive. So yeah, it just, it, it, it's really uh, kind of, a dire state that Sway's example presents for what could potentially become more of a widespread thing if other companies decide to adopt ShowPro's strategy here. And uh, yeah, I think just throw some support Sway's way because, you know, his channel's taken down. I don't know what avenues um, he has in order to, like, make his videos or post them elsewhere. Uh, it's going to really radically change, like, how he does the Sway's Pokemon journey if he can continue it at all. And uh, yeah, so also just support him on his Patreon. But yeah, it's a, it's a situation that is really worth paying attention to. Also in the news recently has been the conversation of NFTs and how awful they are. And Dan Olson did the greatest video essay ever explaining why NFTs are like the worst scam ever. But also like why we really absolutely have to fight back against it at every turn and can't let this become a mainstream thing because the ramification would be devastating. It would be create a financial system even worse than the one we have now. Like Dan just outlines like every case for crypto and just demolishes the arguments for it at every turn with so many examples, so much research, tying it into patterns of behavior that have gone on for a long time in the investment and banking world and tying it into stuff that happened in the aftermath of the 2008 recession and the banking crisis and how this is kind of like a reflection of that, a new form of what's going on with that. But yeah, like if you ever want to be educated on what the consequences of NFTs actually are. Um, yeah, Dan's video does a great job outlining that. And a form of a rant about like how terrible NFT like 
projects are. Saber Spark also did a really fun rant on all the different <laughs> NFT cartoons that have been made and how bad they are. Oh, which, yeah. Uh, it was also a fun video. But moving on from that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Toonami again, right? Because of all the exciting new additions to the block in the past month and upcoming 25th anniversary of the block. And Jeff Harris answered pretty much an essay with an essay length answer to someone's QR question to him about like how much credit should Toonami get for helping anime come mainstream. And Jeff just outlined the entire history of like anime on television and anime's popularity in North America and how Toonami influenced and affected that, which is really well put and wonderfully read it. And it was so nice to read an article from Jeff again, because Jeff was a very formative like influence to me in his writing when he was doing the X Bridge, the premier like Toonami fan site back in the day. It was great to see kind of like, oh, this is, this is like a classic like X-Bridge type article that I used to read from Jeff and about Toonami, about television history. And I really appreciated it, especially with Toonami's upcoming 25th. Like, it's great to look back on like the impact influence of the block. Another article I really enjoyed was Princess Week commenting on the recent hullabaloo people have made over Nezuko's adult form and the conversation of like sexualization of female characters. And she goes into her thoughts on like fan service and anime and outlines a case of like, I mean, fan service oftentimes is less offensive, more than boring and shallow and superficial. And that's a real problem with Nezuko's thing is like, it doesn't really have anything to say or mean anything other than like being a big aesthetic juxtaposition that might be interesting but like the big argument the big explanation she makes is like how the conversation has been split into binaries of like this bad this good and then she's like well these are hyperbolic statements and like there is a way to still appreciate the thing and without saying like this is bad but also be able to interrogate like well was this necessary or was this effective and I think she outlines a great case of, like, addressing situations that oftentimes you, we have people, like, arguing, like, strongly in favor of one moral good or one moral evil, wherein sometimes, like, it's a more complicated thing or more of a thing that's worth, like, having, like, the situation of, well, it doesn't really work, but it, there's also not necessarily harmful either. So it's, I think she had a good, like, articulate and a fair-handed approach to interrogating, like, uh, the design choice made for Nezuko's, like, demon form, like, transformation in the Entertainment District arc. Recently, we had the Orbital Children, the newest series from Mitsu Iso come out, and I still haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, but I'm super excited for it because I really loved their previous series, Deno Coil, and Full Frontal Moe did a great piece a great retrospective on Dino Coil and its production and just how intelligent like its boarding and its design sense abilities are, which I just found like a fantastic exploration of the animation and the visual direction of that show. And it's fun of Mito's work. I definitely want to recommend that for people to check out. And something I've also been a fan of was the work of Patima Inverted Director Yasuhiro Yoshiura, whose recent film Sing a Bit of Harmony recently came out of theaters, and I really enjoy watching it. It was a really great film. It made me want to revisit his previous works, Time of Eden, Patima Inverted, which I hadn't seen in a while. And Beyond Ghibli, I guess in good timing, created a really nice video uh, focused on Patima Inverted, but really... Also just exploring the director's general sensibilities and his filmography, how he likes to explore in his stories areas that keep us apart in terms of communication, whether that be like in time of view, the difference of being humans and robots and being able to communicate that way. 
or in Panaman Murder, literally being like gravity being opposed between these two different worlds and how the way people see in these two modes see the world. And I thought it was a really great video essay on Yasuhiro's work and I really recommend checking it out. Check it out, Yasuhiro's work. Like, I'd sing a bit of Harmony is No Longer Dears, but I'm sure I'll come to home videos soon. I highly recommend you checking that out and check out Pat and Bird in Time Beeves. He's a great director. I always look forward to his stuff and look forward to his like, project. Uh, speaking of films that were recently in theaters, Belle was in theaters, and Anne has a great interview with the dub cast, which includes the an interview with like Kylie McNeil, who is the lead role of Belle, and this is her first voice acting role. And she's so young, she's just like 19. She did some like YouTube stuff, and she was like just getting casting, but she did just such an amazing performance as Suzu and Belle, and I was like blown away by her acting, her singing it was just incredible and so this was a great interview with her with stephanie shane my singer the directors about like working on the film and the performance recording casting process that i highly recommend checking out if you enjoyed bell and want to learn more about what it's a dub and if you want more discussion on the film itself the next picture show one of my favorite film review podcast you really haven't covered a lot of anime the only anime film i remember them covering before was castle in the sky a few years ago when the ghibli films came to hbo max they covered bell recently on their show as part of their you know their format of their series is that they review a new film and compare it to a classic film so bell with its obvious beauty and the beast inspirations they are viewed it as a pair with uh, coverage and review of the 1993 disney beauty and beast film and it was a great discussion on bell as a film like their thoughts and like not really being that well represented like they have some experience with some of those films some of the the main hosts did but like it was a good conversation looking at the story from like kind of an outside anime community's perspective but also uh they had great thoughts on like comparing thematic similarities between bell and beauty and the beast even though like the core messages of the stories are very different because bell is not like focused on the same themes as like the traditional beauty and the beast story but it's borrowing those rookies for a very different kind of commentary on on the way social media affects our perceptions of our online selves and identity and our connections with other people. But I think they had a really fantastic conversation and a fantastic exploration of comparing and contrasting the two works on their podcast. And I'm really excited at the opportunity to be able to recommend the podcast on the show as a longtime listener as well, even since they don't usually cover like anime stuff, but they did a really great review of Bell. And yeah, those are going to be the shout outs that I'll mention this time as the most like kind of relevant to stuff that we brought up in the episode. But uh, trust me, there's a lot of stuff I've been meaning to get to that hopefully we'll be able to shout out in future episodes. But for now, I think we're going to draw the show to a close. And yeah, just wrap us up with uh, where you can find us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Yet again, another long news episode, but we had a lot of interesting pieces to cover. And yeah, uh, look forward to the next episode of the podcast uh, coming soon. Uh, but until then, uh, we're going to go ahead and plug our stuff. Lum, where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lumroyasha on Twitter. It's Lumroyasha, right? Places like Animation Revelation and Analyst, wherever there's a Lumroyasha that you can find me. You can also read my reviews on MangaDivers.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews hopefully coming out, so look forward to reading more on there. That's what you can find. The other podcast I do, Lum Squad, the URC Outstar Focused podcast I do with my good friend Andrew A.C. Yoshimura, where we cover the wonderful and wacky world of Ruka Takahashi's classic manga, URC Outstar, and we had a lot of fun covering Viz's recent releases of the manga as they come out as 
well as the films that they're on Crunchyroll streaming and on Blu-ray courtesy of Discotech. And we, of course, are very excited for the new anime coming out later this year. So there's a ton of Yurusei Yatsura stuff we're talking about, stuff we're excited for. So if you want some more Yurusei discussion, more classic Rumukahashi discussion, look forward to listen to more Love Squad. And you can find that on Twitter, at underscore squad, and on every podcast platform you can think of, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts, of course. And if you like the art I make for our podcast, the illustrations and thumbnails I draw, or the illustrations and animations I make in general, you can find that stuff on my Instagram, at SidArtWorks. All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts besides this one, which you can find over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, you can click on the podcast page I have set up, and you can basically check out all of my stuff. Not only all the other podcasts I'm responsible for, uh, but also some past projects I'm not involved in anymore you can still check out, uh, as well as all my guest spots that I've done over the years on other podcasts. So, you know, I try to keep those as up to date as possible. So if you're interested in literally any of my other podcasts, uh, that's where you can find them once again at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. But yeah, as for Manga Mavericks, you can find every episode of the podcast at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, where basically at the $2 tier in particular, uh, you'll have the chance to listen to select episodes of the podcast uh, depending on when we have them edited. Basically, if we have an episode of the podcast edited before it's supposed to go out on our main feed, that's basically where we'll upload it first. Uh, admittedly, that also depends on our schedules and whatever we have done at the moment. So if you want more reliable content, you want to sign up for our $5 tier, where over there you'll get one bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, right now, you can actually listen to uh, the newest installment of our regular History of Manga Magazine's miniseries. Uh, basically, uh, we get together with our good friend Maxi Bernard of Friendship for Victory and talk about a bunch of manga magazines that they featured in their uh, pretty well-received Twitter thread on a whole bunch of different manga magazines. This time, however, we talk specifically about shoujo magazines because we spent a lot of time talking about shonen magazines on the first installment, so we decided to do uh, shoujo magazines instead, and uh, it was a fun conversation. Uh, a lot of me in particular reminiscing about all the different shoujo titles that I would see on the bookshelves over at uh, my local borders all those years ago. Uh, and a lot of series that, uh, you know, I've heard of but haven't read. And, you know, I, I was the one who got to learn that episode about, you know, which series came from which magazine. So, you know, if, if you want to learn more about just manga magazines in particular and, like, which series come from what magazine, uh, you definitely want to go give that a listen. And uh, hopefully we'll do another installment of that basically when we can find the time. But again, you can find that and more over at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. It's really the best way for you guys to support our show. Any money we make from our Patreon, we, you know, put back into the show as far as, uh, you know, materials cost, uh, you know, uh, site hosting, podcast hosting, all that kind of stuff. So once again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Please sign up if you can. Um, but yeah, as for everything else, you could follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks where we post uh, different excerpts of the podcast including some uh, exclusive content every once in a while again that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks please subscribe to us 
Uh, email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of the news we covered this episode? You know, are you reading anything at the moment? Uh, what are you reading that maybe you want us to talk about on the show? You know, email us anything about manga, you know, at the podcast, or basically whatever, and we'll read it on the show. We love getting emails from you guys. So again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, but the most important thing is, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on a bunch of different platforms at this point. Uh, especially on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify now. If you leave us a rating and a review, uh, it really helps the visibility of our show on those platforms. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys. So, uh, you know, uh, whether it's positive or negative, uh, whatever feedback you want to leave us, we use to basically make the show that much better. So, you know, go ahead and do that for us. Um, But yeah, that's going to be about it for this episode of the podcast. This has been episode 188 of the Manga Marks podcast. And we'll see you guys next time for episode 189. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.